right. All systems go. Hello, willkommen, bienvenue, konnichiwa. Ni hao, jambo, morhaba, happy Father's Day. It's time for the Army's Inquisition yet again, episode 285 on Sunday, the 18th of June, 2023. I'm Phil. I'm Ben. And uh, Matt's not here tonight. He's on a diplomatic mission to Alderaan. That's it. I thought he's going to have a shock when he gets there. Yeah, just dust, the space dust. Yeah. Uh, but never fear, because uh, tonight we're very happy to be joined by Debbie Elliott. How are you doing, Debbie? Oh, I'm really glad to be here. Thank you for having me on. Uh, you're more than welcome. So the clouds have just cleared. <laughs> Sorry, I was saying again. there was a storm coming. The clouds have just cleared, because I was saying to you just now there's a storm coming. And as your, as your uh, beginning started, all the clouds just went away. So the sun now shines. It's the sun. We try our best. <laughs> the sun shines on the righteous, someone said, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> there must have been something gone wrong though. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, it's nice to uh, nice to have you. You've um you write books, you're um you're on Her- Hermes Risen, which is uh, is it an online magazine? It is, yeah, with various writers that do esoteric stuff on various from theosophy to anthroposophy to you name it, and we do book reviews, stuff on Crowley, stuff on Elementals. We've all fantastic writers from, well, mostly from the UK, but we've got a few from abroad as well. So it's it's building up. It's only been running a couple of years. Wow. Right. Because I saw, I don't know, was it, um, we had uh, Tim Wyatt on the show not so mm. long ago, about, about a month or six weeks ago. I don't know if it was an article of his, or was it the book review? Was the review of the, is his, was it Everyone's Book of the Dead, is it called? That's it, yeah, yes, because I had him on my channel for that. I, I know him oh. quite well, yes, through the Theosophy lines. And I, I've watched your shows with him. Cause I think you've done two with him, haven't you? No, just the one. Just, just the, the one. one. Right, okay. And we, we also both, I think we all know Wayne Gatfield, who's the poet and has his own channel, who's also a great Theosophist and talks about great things. So he writes for Hermes Risen as well. Wow. And we all do book reviews for, you know, if, if someone sends us a book that's just come out, we sort of share it between us. Whoever deals with that subject gets that book to review. <laughs> cool. So, right. So you're, um, I mean, how, right. So is it mainly books that are sent into you or do you have like uh, some secret um, uh, sort of uh, <laughs> online area where you get all the juicy latest releases? We're quite lucky. We know amongst us all, because there's quite a few of us, we know really good writers who will then kindly send us, or their publishers kindly send us books, which is how we manage to uh, get all the latest on the esoteric world or on theosophy or Gurdjieff. Um, we have a, a, a great guy, Anity, in, uh, in the Norselands. I, I think he's from Finland. He does lots of books, reviews on anthroposophy for us, and he's in the know there, so he gets some sense of him. And I do books on, review books on Gurdjieff, and Tim's obviously does books on theosophy. So he doesn't review his own books, because you said about the Book of the Dead. We did get somebody else to review that. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, now, so we're just trying to be supportive to people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, help independent creators, publishers, small publishing houses, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's a great thing. Um, one of the things that, that interests me um, is how, because I think it's fair to say that the occult esoterica is quite a fringe sort of area of interest. If you, you know, poll 100 people in, uh, what's it, uh, Family Fortune style, 
Our the survey sp- says. Our survey, yeah. How many? Well, you know, what sort of percent of the general population uh, start uh, spends the time reading books on anthro- anthroposophy? I'm guessing it's pretty low. So I'm always interested in people's sort of individual stories, how they sort of got into this. So maybe you could tell us a bit about what you, ha- you know, what your journey was into the esoteric realm. Well, I actually, from a child, was very drawn into this kind of thing. I'm not saying I was anything special, but I just saw from a young age that things weren't quite right. And I noticed that parents lied a lot, adults lied a lot, teachers lied a lot, and that kind of drove me to thinking, is this how the world should be? And then, as a child, I also came... I loved books. I read books all the time, and I always seemed to have books that had a kind of a magical theme to them. You know, I, I grew up on things like the Moomins, for those that know the Moomins, and that's quite, um, if you read them, they've got a, a philosophical way of life, but mm. obviously written by a lady who understands the fantasy side of the world. And I grew up on things like Lord of the Rings and things like that, which also kind of give you a idea of magic. And so coming from a young age of thinking, the world's not quite right, I was kind of looking for ways of trying to make it right for me. And I wouldn't say I dabble in magic or anything, but I'm very interested in the history of magic and whether it actually does work, I don't know. But that then led me on to, as I became a teenager, I started looking into the philosophy of what magic is and the reasons behind it. And I learned all about how to develop your will. And then that led on to things like theosophy, Madame Blavatsky, and her book, The Secret Doctrine and Isis Unvowed, and it made me suddenly realise there's a lot more going on into this world than the reality they want us to know. There's like a hidden thing behind it. And you were saying about it being the occult, being quite fringe. I think the occult's becoming more, well, no longer a cult. I think it's becoming more widespread and is being put out there because of these writers like Blavatsky and Gurdjieff and Rudolf Steiner and Nicholas Rorick, because... People need to wake up. We feel like we're on a bit of a pivot point at the moment with what's going on with humanity. And maybe that's why these things have started coming out into this realm. I think in the olden times, all this was hidden in mystery schools. And it's it's not magic. You go and cast a spell, but it's magic in that you can learn how to develop yourself and your inner self. And um, I wonder if a if 100 people would know a bit more if you did your survey. Mm especially with all the types of TV programmes that are out there these days, these uh, fantasy fiction programmes, I think that gives people a little dabble in it. Maybe the people that don't watch them kind of programmes, they they wouldn't be interested in this kind of thing. But I think people don't know where to look for it, where to find it. And that was another reason we started Hermes Risen, to help people find paths, books, teachers, other ways of learning about what the esoteric is. And I, I had what they call a book angel. Whenever I liked a subject and wanted to learn more about it, a book would come my way, whether it was by the library or in a secondhand bookshop or someone lent it to me. So I felt like I was being helped. And then that comes back again to, is there something else going on? Are there beings out there that want to help people that want to develop themselves and not be caught up in the rat race and the material world and that are aware that there's something occultish going on? Hidden behind the veil. Yeah, yeah. Is I'd consider it sort of more philosophy than than anything else, and and I guess theology as well, because we're talking about other sort of realms of existence a lot of the time. And uh, yeah, I remember Tim when he, when he was saying he was talking about theosophy. If it was implemented on a mass scale, you would have this sort of 
sea change in the way we interact with each other because, you know, there all of a sudden there are repercussions for, for, for how you conduct yourself, which is, you know, it makes me wonder, you mentioned Blavatsky and um, Steiner and, and there was this sort of explosion in the, I guess it was the late 19th century in, in theosophy and, and these sort of areas. And I, I always wonder, was that, was that a result of, of the materialism from the Enlightenment a couple of hundred years earlier where we sort of gradually went down this sort of materialistic thing and the death of God? I know it's a bit later, like um, Nietzsche and whatnot. But whether that was a reaction to, to the Enlightenment, that sort of explosion with Blavatsky et al. I think so. I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's something I say to people. I think the Enlightenment at the time was probably fantastic, but it's not the enlightenment of a spiritual enlightenment, was it? It was enlightenment into materialism and industrialism and that we don't need a spiritual path because we're just going to go and do it, blaze our way forwards ourselves, but forgetting our connection to the divine and also forgetting our connection to this beautiful planet Earth because it brought on all the industrial revolution and things like that, didn't it? Which, again, hasn't helped our planet, hasn't really helped a lot of people's lives, you know, Industry has caused a lot of problems in, in pollution and such like, so that's having health crises, even though they deny all that. And I think that's why, because you're right, it was all at the same sort of time in the for the last quarter of the 1800s. Suddenly these people came out, like Lebatsky, Steiner. I think there was a few groups beforehand, but maybe they were still trying to be secret and a bit of a mystery school type of thing. But <laughs> Lebatsky definitely brought it into the fore. And then Steiner was part of Blavatsky and Theosophy, and he broke away and started Anthroposophy. But I believe they were all led by masters, masters or Mahatmas or whatever you want to do, because call them, who came from some... Blavatsky calls it the White Brotherhood, came to help humanity get back on track. And from a Gurdjieff point of view, he says that humanity is on this pivot point where it could either devolve, go downhill, and that we are devolving... And this is our chance to start evolving again. And I think Blavatsky and Steiner definitely also says the same thing. Humanity has become too secular, too materialistic, and has forgotten what it is, that it's a sp- we're spiritual beings in a human body. And we should be working with the hierarchies of the angels, archangels, God, and God up to the divine source. It's interesting you say that, Debbie. Do you think the materialists uh, potentially also into this supernature level um i imagine it as a you know if it, if it if it's there as a as a blanket so it covers nature and has its own subtle you know good and bad parts and and you mentioned or or you were framing it then that the materialists are almost soulless not spiritual at all but is it is it possible that they're tapping into a different aspect of this spiritualism for their own personal gains? Uh, and I know we've seen that in the past. You mentioned Crowley, um, potentially, um, and and some others. We we've spoken about some of the um, secret societies in in high politic in you know across the world, and and whether there's shady dealings going on there. I, I don't know. I mean, do. do do you think there's a place for that as well? Absolutely. I think it's kind of like, because we were talking about Star Wars and her start Darth Vader before then, 
It's like the force. It could be used for good or bad. I think there probably are some materialists and scientists that want to use it for good things and are probably being influenced by, let's say, the good beings, the good entities, like Nikola Tesla. He, he was in touch with something. He even used to say about how he, um, he used to get his visions. He'd have a light flashing in his head and then suddenly the invention or whatever came to him. And he wanted to work with the earth. He loved his animals and his beasts and he wanted to... Uh, do it so that it helped humanity. He wanted to give technology for free, didn't he? Set out electricity and, and stuff like that. He didn't think it should be shared. Um, that's, a, that's a terrible idea. Free energy. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. And then I think there's the, the dark side of those that have seen how they can make money from it and control people. And I do wonder if they're maybe not possessed by dark forces, but they've possibly been... I think they're being whispered in their ears. I do strongly believe that. I do think there's um, a set of beings out there that are trying their best to bring mankind down. I actually give workshops on the Emerald Tablets of Foth, or Foth, depending on how you like to call him. I, I don't know if you've read them, that, them books. And he talks about how there's uh, beings that wear like glamours, they're serpent-like beings, dark forces that make their way up to the top of the human hierarchy and take control of us because they want to destroy us. They don't. They want to capture our souls. They want to stop us returning to the divine. That's the dark forces' mission. And what better way than keeping us trapped on this earth, looking at a, a phone or an iPad and not being concerned about anything else, hypnotising us. It's all mass hypnosis. Just apologies to our viewers uh, who are using iPads and I no. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> well, they can be used for good things as well. Yeah, is well, it? Yeah. like what I was saying about the force. You can use it for the good force. You can use it for the bad, dark force. Are you a, a thief or a Jedi? I'd like to think we're all Jedi's. <laughs> Can't well, all be Jedi's, Debbie. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I'm um, sure there's some dark thief watching your shows. Uh, dark thief, isn't it? <laughs> well, you should see some of the comments we get. <laughs> um, you mentioned Gurdjieff before, and that was that was part of the um, the reason I wanted to talk to you because um, I know you study this guy a lot. So let's let's um, let's go to the back to the basics. I, I know literally nothing about this guy. I've read some Uspensky, but I've not been brave enough yet to tackle uh, Gurdjieff. So could you start giving us a bit of background about him? Yeah, well, we don't actually know when he was born. He was very cagey about his date of birth. Oh, he wasn't yeah. like Flamel, was he? <laughs> well, it's weird because a lot of these people don't want to give their true dates of births out. I think they're concerned about people doing charts on them or trying oh. to use, you know, because if somebody knows your astrological chart, they can work magic on it. So some say he was born in 1866 and then there's other dates for the 1870s. But he was... Um, it's, he would have been born in what is now known as Armenia. And again, from a young age, he also saw that things were not quite right. And he had a father who used to be a singer, used to sing the old stories um, from the past. You know, they didn't read from books or anything. They were memorised and passed down to people. And uh, one of his uh, awakening moments was... His father used to sing the Epic of Gilgamesh, and this the actual Epic of Gilgamesh hadn't been discovered then, uh, like Whoa. the that we know about. They weren't discovered for about another, I think that was the early 1900s, and he was stunned, Gurdjieff was, when he, you know, he was obviously a, a man by then, to when they were released, the translations, these were almost identical to what his father had been singing in the, in the past. So he could see that, you know, this tradition was carrying on, 
So he was wondering what other traditions there were, what other ancient traditions, the ancient wisdom. And he, from a young age, was uh, looking, trying to learn about spiritualism, learned, taught himself hypnosis. He worked with uh, various priests and uh, had fantastic teachers. His second book, Meetings with Remarkable Men, describes all his biography of the different teachers he had that helped him what he would call wake up to what's going on in this world. You know, most of us walk about like robots and quite asleep. And so that's what got him going along. That he did his late teens and 20 years, in his 20s, they're quite, not much is known about them. There's no actual evidence of anything that he claims that he did. Like he, he started a group called the Seekers of Truth that went out looking for ancient wisdom. And in one of the places, this is all around the Middle East and around uh, the Russian area, wow. he came across at a priest's house that he was staying at once, he came across a map that was pre-sand Egypt. So he went off looking for all this that was written on the uh, this pre-sand Egypt. He realised there were books, ancient books that were discussed that had never been found. So these guys were going to look for the seekers of truth and they were going to look for mystery schools because they wanted to, they realised there was just more to life than being a, you know, brought up in the materialism and being hypnotised by our governments and such like. He wanted to break free from all that and find a mystery school and develop himself. He did find one called the Samun Brotherhood, though he, again, is quite cagey about where exactly it was. So some of us think it might have been around the Kush mountain region, and it was whilst he where's, was there. Where's that? Is that Kush, sort of like, like south of Egypt, like the ancient I think, Kush? I think it's sort of more Russia, Tibet, India areas. All oh, right, okay. And he did go to Tibet. He travelled to all them kinds of places. He talks about them in his books. Um, met various other teachers, but it was at the Samun Brotherhood that he got the teaching that he brought to the West, because he was. They were telling him that people needed to know this, because. As I was saying earlier, humanity was de-evolving and going down the wrong path and not developing themselves. So he learned all these ancient dances. He learned all the ancient music from these different uh, cultures of the past. And with that wisdom, after he'd had all his training at the Salmon Brotherhood, he came back to the West and started his group, which most people know it as the Fourth Way. And, and do, do you know about what the Fourth Way is? Uh, I, read, that? I read Uspensky's book uh, a, y a year or two ago, um, but I, I mean, a lot of people listening probably don't. So maybe I was just going to ask before we get into the philosophy, because you mentioned him sort of reading a lot and traveling a lot. Did he have quite an affluent background in Armenia then? Or do we know? Do we even know? We don't really know. He He was... Very, he picked things up quickly. He learned other languages, right. and he loved to read. He mentions that he, he, you know, he was always scouring for books and things. And then these books would lead to other books, like we'd have today when we read books. Like if you're reading the Fourth Way, you know, at the back there's a nice bibliography, maybe. So I remember you talking about reading the Fourth Way in one of your shows, and I think that's one of the most difficult books of Ospensky. <laughs> I, I have honestly, I hated it. It was a war of attrition. <laughs> An absolute war of attrition. I had to drag myself through it. I found it long-winded, repetitive, um, and I thought there was some some you know moments of brilliance interspersed 
throughout it all. I know some people absolutely rave about it and say it's the best thing ever. But I don't know, maybe they're talking about um, <laughs> Gurdjieff's fourth wave rather than Uspensky's. Because Uspensky was like um, Gurdjieff's acolyte, his uh, disciple, if you like, wasn't he? Yeah, he's one of them. He was a because I think he's in search of the miraculous. Is the book to read really out of Spensky's books? If you want to know about Gurdjieff's right. work, um, yeah, Spensky met Gurdjieff in about the early nineteen hundred, like about nineteen twelve. It was, but the, I am um, some reports say that Gurdjieff was actually looking for a Spensky because Spensky brought out the book. I'm probably going to butcher this. Tertium Organum which is another quite difficult book to read, yeah. but it's all about his understanding of the fourth dimension and uh, the different uh, philosophies, but the mystical philosophies and his search for... Because um, Spensky went out searching for teachers. He went to India and, and Egypt and places like that. And Gurdjieff actually said to Spensky, if you actually understood what you'd written, I'd be bowing down to you and listening to you. So I find that quite weird. Because Spensky came from an intellectual point of view. So maybe he didn't quite take it all in and ponder on it. Instead, he just wrote what he knew, because he was a journalist, wasn't he? So I'm not saying his book was a, an article, but he didn't think with all his centres, which is what uh, Gurdjieff was trying to teach us all to use, our intellectual centre, our emotional centre and our moving centre. And he said that Spensky was coming, because he was coming from the intellectual centre, that's why he didn't always understand the Gurdjieff work. And Despensky came to him, yeah, like I say, about 1912, and he, he'd he heard about Gurdjieff's play, the, uh, Dance of the, uh, the Dance of the Magicians, which was all about the... Gurdjieff was going to put on this play about the black magicians and the white magicians, but whether it was ever performed, the ballet, the scenario of the ballet of the magicians, I should say. And... Uh, he was trying to search out who this author was, where at the same time, Gurdjieff was looking for him. I think Gurdjieff sent someone to Ospensky to bring Ospensky to him. But when you met Gurdjieff, he used to put on a, a bit of a mask to see what he could get away with. And when he went, when Ospensky met him, he was sitting there like some kind of a Middle Eastern guru with a turban on. And apparently he had what looked like fake tan on. And he was pretending he couldn't understand Despensky. Um, but then when he saw that Despensky kept persisting with questions, he realised that Despensky was a true teacher. And I think Gurdjieff put these masks on when he first met people to see whether they really are proper truth seekers or if they're someone that's just going to waste his time and are just looking for easy fixes to fix their lives. Or, you know, I, I meet many people that say to me, can you explain the Gurdjieff work in three sentences? He was trying to cut them kind of people away and just make sure it was people that would definitely put effort into doing this work to develop themselves. He didn't want time wasters. Almost like an initiation. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. And I, I know Gurdjieff groups. I'm not going to mention any that still do them kind of things and make people come and meet them, and then don't they don't turn up at them. They want to see how dedicated people are, which I think that's Gurdjieff's way, but not necessarily something we should be doing to people. <laughs> I'd heard he was a bit of a bit of a cad, Gurdjieff. You know, when you think of these sort of spiritual leaders uh, from the past, we think of sort of serene, meditating, uh, like me, like me, Ben. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But uh, I heard he was a bit of a bit of a wild one, Gurdjieff. Yes, he was, and uh, he he wanted to see what people were really like. 
so there's all this talk about he used to like to get people drunk because he says when you're drunk your personality comes out and he sees who you really are as a personality wow. but deep down he knows we've got an essence inside ourselves which is our true self and that's what he was doing the work to try and bring that out but he was a bit of a cad he did he, <laughs> he was also a bit of a, a ladies man but he wasn't, I know they say about a lot of gurus, oh, they slept with every woman in the uh, centre. But I know people who are sons and daughters of people that are, of women that either slept with Gurdjieff or grew up in the Gurdjieff work. And Gurdjieff, because he understood women, he knew when a woman wanted a bit of fun, let's say, that night. And he also knew when a wo uh, another woman was just there to learn. You know, all all gurus have followers that would do anything for them and would sleep with them or whatever. But it, there was also agreements with some women because they wanted children. And obviously it would help him to have more children out there to pass on the work. Mm. So he, he, this is why he gets a bit of a reputation as a cad, because he also can be a bit... He was known for shouting at people, but he was trying to bring out of them the feelings that they would feel to, to be... Um, to make them aware of themselves, because all part of the Gurdjieff work is looking at yourself and seeing who you are and how you react to things. And he was trying to teach people how to stop reacting and start acting and be aware of why you act like this or react like this. That's and, uh, interesting, because like the fourth way is about, well, the, what I took from it is about analysing your behaviour, a lot of it. And so by shouting at people and carrying on, he was essentially, essentially testing them and giving them opportunities to practice the philosophy. Yes, treading on corns, he used to call it. <laughs> what a rotter. But it helps you, you to, like, if you do this kind of work, to see how you react to people in this life. Because he didn't come to say, I'm here to take you off to a retreat and you're going to live here forever and we're going to have our own community he was wanting to teach people how to live in this world in this what he called a lunatic asylum because <laughs> it is a lunatic asylum isn't it yeah we've got governments that are corrupt there's injustices everywhere we don't live logically we have homeless on the streets you know and we could go on and on and on about that so it's a lunatic asylum and it's how to navigate our way through it because many people that come to this work or any kind of spiritual path is because they see the world is unfair, the world we're living in, the life we have. So he was teaching us how to, I'd like to say, navigate our way through it. But at the same time, we have to look at ourselves. Like all the old mystery schools of the past had across the doorway, as you went in, know thyself. Yeah. And that's what he was trying to teach people to do, look at themselves. And that's why it's very hard work, because people start doing this work, start looking at their dark side or their bad side or the things that you know you, we all have the things when we go to bed at night of like oh my god that's just come back into my head and you know stirs up all your emotions but he's trying to teach us of how to deal with that and then as we learn to deal with that we learn to deal with it in our everyday lives it's not a quick fix solution it is takes a lot of effort and working and people don't like looking at themselves at all and which is why many people abandon this path but it is a very, you know, if you persevere on it, it's a very rewarding path. And I can know from myself, if I look at back at myself of 10 years ago, I'm, a I'm definitely a different person in a much better way. So I still have my thoughts. Yeah, and if I look back does. at myself of 20 years ago, I can't even believe that who I was 20 years ago. But that's from 
doing the exercises he talks about in his books and in the books that are written by his students. They, I cannot deny they have helped me. And I could say the same for the Steiner writings and lectures and even Blavatsky. But it is self-work. Yeah. Um, maybe you should um, give us some examples of um, this sort of work and how, how we can implement it, according to Gurdjieff. Well, he says we need to start looking at ourselves of t- the way we think, the way we feel. Do we let our emotions override us you know they're quick our emotions aren't they boom 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 suddenly you're happy suddenly you're sad and he does this little anecdote about how a man gets up in the morning and his servant or his butler hasn't hasn't bought his cup of tea in his newspaper so he's a bit what a great start to the day and then he goes to have his breakfast and he knocks something over he's like oh he goes up to the bathroom and he's feeling himself getting more and more annoyed because he's not looking at what's annoyed him he's just like everything's going wrong tries to brush his hair drops the brush picks it up brushes the hair again drops the brush again he's like, oh so he goes this gentleman goes off down the street and suddenly sees a beautiful woman who gives him a lovely smile and everything in him changes and this is all reactions and it's teaching us why these things happen to us like if you've done the if you've been working on yourself you'd be like when that butler didn't bring that newspaper up, you'd think, right, why did that butler not bring the newspaper? Why am I letting this annoy me? Incidents happen. You keep dropping the brush. Well, I'm obviously because I'm all nervous or anxious or angry, so I need to collect myself and gather myself together. And seeing like this beautiful woman give him a wave and a smile because it's made him feel better because something nice has happened to him. Well, we need to be aware of what's this is happening to us throughout our days, why these things happen to us. And we hold on to so much baggage from the past, as we all know. I'm sure many of you have done this kind of thing before, having to not necessarily let it go, but look at why things still irk us, why things from the past that suddenly come up are still you know, traumatising us. So it's making us look at ourselves, which is why sometimes when we look at the trauma we've had in our lives, we want to blame other people. We also need to look at what what our involvement in it is. So this is the kind of exercises that you're doing with yourself, but you're also trying to learn how to think instead of react, like think clearly. When you're feeling your emotions, what is that emotion? Why am I feeling that anger? Why am I feeling, or if it's something nice happening, why am I feeling too ecstatic over it? And also our bodies. He does work on our bodies. So it's three centres, your mind, your emotion and your body. Are you tense? Are you relaxed? Being tense, we we don't work properly because we we're holding tension in our bodies, so the energies aren't flowing through properly. So he does all these exercises on things like that, and the main aim is to try and bring these three centres: your intellectual, your emotional, and your moving body into alignment, so that you can become a more harmonised person. And then, when you become harmonised in yourself, you go out into the world and hopefully spread more harmony. But at the same time, you become more aware of things happening to you because you like say that person, somebody rides in front of you and cuts you off because you're harmonized. You, you, you know, that's just a it's just an incident it wasn't done personally against you. It's just someone else who was asleep getting in your way. But you don't react to it. Instead, you just understand why that's happened. But like I say, we we uh react so quickly that it takes a lot of work of dealing with this. But over time, thinking about this kind of thing and pondering on it, it does start working inside us. 
Yeah, mm. you 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 literally have a split second, don't you, where you have a ch- where you have a chance to stop yourself and just pause. And if I've done this, I've got two kids, and nothing will try your patience like kids. And we all know it. We all know, and it's almost um, the urge to overreact is almost oh my gosh, almost intoxicating. It's almost like an addiction. It's like, oh, gosh, it's going to feel so good sometimes. Just take off, ah, shout or bang a table or stomp off. And, it's, and you know, hopefully if you're practicing this sort of stuff, you realize pretty soon, like, this just does not work. It does nothing good. But it's so no, it tempting, energy. isn't it? Just waste energy. And also, like when you were saying about that reaction, that build-up, that's the build-up from all the past. Everything's piling up on it from everything that's happened to you in your life. He talks about we waste so much energy. Losing our temper takes a lot of energy out of us. He says we have these accumulators in us where our energy stores are and they are running down as we waste energy. Like when you have an explosion like that, we have to think of it like a factory's exploded and then it, they have to send in the men to go and clean it all up, you know, and reset the factory. Well, that takes a couple of days. Well, that's the same for us. When we have an explosion... Our whole body, our mind, our emotions are all affected and it takes a while to yeah, reset your cells and then get back on track. We get shaken, don't we, when something bad happens to us. <laughs> yeah. And he's trying to learn, teach us how to use our energies in a more productive way. And if we're more harmonised, we're not wasting energy. Instead, we're creating a better vibration, a better energy, a more purer energy. So I'm guessing that would be sort of the, the main drive of the... Um, emotional center what about the intellectual center what does it tell us to do in that regard to sort of harmonize our intellect well that's thinking isn't it because you're the way we think sometimes we start (laughs) i suppose imagining like say let's say um with your kids you start thinking oh he's going to do it again he's going to do it again so we're we're making that plan in our head that it's going to happen again instead of thinking right that incident's happened and instead of winding ourselves up that it's going to keep on happening, obviously you, you need to, uh, you're learning to talk to your child, explain to your child why what he or she's done is wrong. But at the same time, you've got to hold yourself back from seeing how everything's built up over time. You're kind of looking at your thinking process of, why am I letting it get to me? <laughs> yeah. what a- why is this winding me up? It's a kind of a control thing with thinking, isn't it? We want to feel like we're in control of our minds but we're not. Our minds work quickly. Yeah, and- it talks about you sort of drifting off. You're not aware. It's always I can't remember the sentence that keeps getting repeated through the book, but it's, it's sort of focusing back in on yourself. And it's like uh, fantasizing or daydreaming, something all of us do all the time, and you can, you can just catch yourself doing it. You think, what am I doing? I'm thinking about something, some fake thing in my mind. I'm completely lost. I'm out of touch with reality. Anything could be happening around me. I'm just lost in my own thoughts, you know. Yeah, we make these scenarios and they waste so much energy. We assume we know what's going to happen in the future and we have all these fears and things and we have to stop that and be aware of the moment and the now. And he, he talks about when once we start thinking about this kind of thing, we have different eyes inside of us. You know, you've got your, when you go to work, your work feel and work uh when you go to play with your children your daddy feel or you know do you know what i mean when you go to be with your family you've got a different head on when you go to be out social down the pub with your friends 
that's another version of you. Yeah. So there's all these different versions of you all trying to get your attention. And that, again, is part of the, uh, like, <laughs> separating us from what we should really be doing, of making aware of who we are. All these different eyes in us, you know, all trying to get attention. He, he talks about it with a horse and carriage scenario. Was that, I can't remember if that's in the fourth way book or not, about the horse and carriage. So you, you visualize a horse and a carriage. So the horse is your emotions. The carriage is your um, body, your physical body, represented him, obviously. And the driver of the carriage who sits on top, who clicks the horses forward, that's your, your mind. And the horse needs to be looked after, it needs to be careful, it needs to be fed properly, things like that. So your, your emotions don't get out of control. You know, horses can get quite wild. If, if they're not looked after, they slow down and fall over and things, you know, stumble as they're going along. If the carriage wheels aren't oiled, which is the physical body, you're not maintaining the, uh, like the, the uh, manufacture of it to keep it rolling along and working well. And up the top is that man, that driver, just thinking right off we go but these are all different versions of yourself and what you need in that carriage somebody gets in it's like a taxi isn't it somebody gets in and says right you take me there well that's your different eyes driving that carriage you know like when you're going down the pub the pub version of yourself is getting in that carriage and off you go but if you don't look after your carriage your horse and your the man driving the the car, which is your three centers, you're going to be all over the place. You're not harmonized. You're a bit lopsided. We work from, he says, we work from uh, one center at a time, and really we should be working from all three centers. I don't know if I explained that carriage, horse and carriage analogy properly, but the, the person getting into the carriage is always changing the different versions of yourself. And Gurdjieff's work is trying to make you find the real you that's inside you, the essence which has been bogged down as we grow up by all our developments, our personalities being de developed over, you know, from our peers, from our schooling, from our friends, we become, our personality takes over our essence. When we're born, we have this essence in us. It's why babies are so delightful, aren't they? They're so happy. I know they need feeding and changing still, but it's their essence is shining through them. But as they start being um, manipulated, I don't know if that's the right word, and look, you know, by their parents and such like, then they start creating different versions of themselves inside to work with their parents or to please their, their school or, I don't know, rebel against their school and things like that. And so your essence gets squashed down further and further and further, while these different versions of yourself, they're like masks, come out for different... Uh, events and different situations and this uh, Gurdjieff work is all about bringing into control well not maybe in control but under control all these different eyes in you so that the real you can come through and you can see who you really are it's, it's quite a, a revealing thing a revelation once it does happen but whether you stay in it is very difficult <laughs> not many people are able to bring their true essence out but I don't do, say that to discourage people. We, people need to, if they want to develop themselves and find who they really are, this is the kind of exercises that would be perfect for that. And it, it's a while since I read it, and so I can't remember now, but it's, I'm, I, from what I remember, the idea isn't, you're not trying to eliminate these separate eyes. Are, are you trying to integrate them into, the, into a whole? Is that the idea? 
yes and make them more aware as you're doing this work kind of like a training for them to stop reacting and start acting they will start learning how to be real uh Gurdjieff's last book its title is called life is real only then when I am while we're all asleep you know being mechanical and then in these different personalities overtake us <laughs> where we're kind of just letting life happen to us though most people will say no I know what I'm doing with my life I'm getting on with my life but deep down we all know we don't have control of our lives but he says by doing this kind of work we will wake up properly <laughs> as in a, like an enlightenment thing way and see what life is all about it is a bit of a shock because we suddenly you know you suddenly see I'm stuck in this lunatic asylum but if you're developed enough you learn how to negotiate your way through it and hopefully become a teacher or something to pass this on to other people to help them wake up you know I know many people call this a prison planet for various reasons but in a way it is a prison planet in that none of us are free to do what we want we're all cut caught up in the rat race aren't we yeah um someone uh, in the chat uh not long ago was asking about this book the the Beelzebub book what what which one oh. was that Beelzebub's Towers to his grandson so this is like his magnus opus and this is a when i first read it it was like a sci, science fiction book for me but it actually is it's um proper title is all and everything so beelzebub's towers to his grandson this is gurdjieff talking about how we got into this mess how us humans have ended up stuck like this it's like we've forgotten what our purpose on this planet is and he writes all about this cosmology he calls god his endlessness so uh, i'll just quickly go over the cosmology his endlessness is obviously the god living in uh, his sun absolute that's the heaven and he's created this universe because time which is the enemy started eating away at his heaven so he needed a universe a cosmology to distract time to keep his heaven going and so because of that all the planets were made and our little earth was one of the last to be made and us humans were put on it and we were supposed to help with what they call the uh, harmonious construction of the universe everything affects everything i'm sure you've heard of the saying everything eats everything well in this everything works on everything what's happening on mars is helping that solar system our planet should be helping the solar system and then that helps like the the next solar system that goes on up to the uh, to god and what happened on our planet was there was a mistake in the creation of our planet so with us little humans we had to be distracted while the angels came down to uh, fix the earth and they gave us what Gurdjieff calls the kunda buffer and you have in your titles you always have um they live with the man uh, I forgot the name <laughs> puts the black sunglasses on yeah rally rally piper it's that's yeah. it's like they've given them the sunglasses to distract us not to let us see and them sunglasses have kept us away from what's really going on in this world though they came back and took the sunglasses off us there really was a towel in Gurdjieff's work book but um, I'm just doing it from a, a bit of a different analogy the sunglasses were removed but we'd had such a great time being free of being caught up in the cosmic hierarchy 
we wanted to continue that way, and that's why people forgot about the spiritual uh, I'll just, connection. I'll just eat the snake. I'll eat the steak. Uh, like that guy in the yeah. Matrix said. Yeah, keep, yeah, keep, keep me here. Keep me here. I'll have the steak. Thanks. That's the one. So, but where Beelzebub comes in is Beelzebub. Obviously, many people know of him from the Bible. He's another name for one of the uh, fallen angels or the dark, the demons. Well, he, in Beelzebub's tales to his grandson, he has caused a problem and he's been exiled to our solar system. And he was exiled sort of at the beginning of humanity. And throughout the book of Beelzebub's Tale, which is big, it's a big book, he's watching humanity develop. And every now and then he comes down and comes to see what we're up to. And uh, really it's about how we can develop ourselves, how Beelzebub develops himself and gets himself redeemed, and how we should be getting back on track of working as part of the, uh, the job we were given to do. Not to live here, even though we have free will, we should be still enjoying, because once we're, you know, this awakening that Gurdjieff talks about, we want to work with with God or the divine source. But as you say, many people just want to go and eat the steak. Yeah. So and then they the... get caught up in the recycling system and keep coming back on this earth. <laughs> so was this this cosmology, is this a fictitious cosmology he's come up with, or was this his personal belief? Or do we well, even know? I think I don't think we know, though I, I think a lot of it is um, obviously taking it from the mystery schools he attended and then has written it, you know, uh, fabricated it out a bit more for for the book. Um, but I, I think all the ancient wisdoms, whichever path you follow, they're talking about getting on track and being in touch with whether it's your higher self, your higher angel or divine, it's all a spiritual uh, workings where the dark forces would want to take us away from all that. And so they would do everything and throw materialism at us. They tell us that, you know, people that follow spiritual paths are crazy, you know, should be locked away. We don't understand because we're living in a rational world. You know, so you you can see how the dark forces are trying to distract people from what we should be doing, working on this planet. And part of Gurdjieff's cosmology is that this Earth is also developing. Every planet develops, and in the future, this planet will develop into a sun. But to do that, it needs all our vibrations, which are, you know, what what we put out, you know, all our moods, all our, uh, what we say, everything's going out into the atmosphere and then going into the Earth to help it develop. And at the moment, with all that's going on, it's not a lot of goodness going in there. It's a lot of, uh, especially with uh, the state of what's been happening in the last few years, all the fear that was created, all them kind of things, a neglect to God, a neglect to caring for other people, you know, each for themselves. The planet might not develop into the sun. And also we might not develop into what we're next to be, the next stage of our evolution as humans, where... I think the dark forces are trying to uh, keep us trapped on this earth and not return to God. And what better way than keeping us hypnotised by the AI and the coming transhumanism and things like that. Sort of artificial, um, you might call it an artificial human evolution, like uh, Harari, Yuval Harari would talk about it. He's constantly going on about AI and 
how uh, us useless eaters are going to develop over the next 50 years, whereas uh, I'm guessing Gurdjieff was, was talking more about a sort of a spiritual evolution for humanity. Yeah, not just for humanity, but for the Earth. Right. The moon's developing. The moon will at some point become a planet like the Earth, but that is also getting our vibrations, and it's us, we here on Earth and all the animals are helping that create that. It's like... um. You know, when you're make, making a pie, all the ingredients that are going into it. Well, we're the ingredients, but it's through our vibrations and our energy that we're putting into it. What was his... his did he talk about um, sort of eternal recurrence, reincarnation, anything like that? He does. He talks about... Though that is also more Ospensky, because Ospensky talks about recurrence, so that we keep... Though he says we keep coming back to the same life. So, you, you know, when we... When you die, you'll come back and be Ben and you'll be Phil again and relive this life. And oh, we've got God, another no. chance to fix it <laughs> and make it better every time. And I quite like that idea. That actually originally comes from Nietzsche. Where Gurdjieff seems to be saying more of you'll come back in the reincarnation cycle in the future. But part of Gurdjieff's work and these uh, exercises that he does. And so this is the more of the deeper stuff when you've really been working on you, on the exercises is you're learning to develop your, what he calls your Kesjan body. Some people think of it as an astral body. What, well, sorry, what's that called? Uh... Called a Kesjan, K-E-S-D-J-A-N. And he, he has a lot of terminology and uh, philology, as they say. He thinks that words are very important to get precise. And he thinks another problem with all our languages now is that we have many... Uh, meanings to words for example the word cancel we can have a cancel of people or you can cancel somebody as in talking to person one-to-one and so he was trying to get exact words so that people could understand what he was saying so with this Kesjan body this is something we can learn to develop in ourselves while we're still living it will help us with our astral traveling if we want to do that but it will also help us when we die, if we've developed our soul, our soul will go into that Kesjan body and not get caught up in the reincarnation cycle. It will go on to the next stage. But people that aren't working on themselves will end up in the reincarnation cycle again and come back round, or, or in the recurrence, if you're a Spensky, and do your life again until you get it right. So I don't know which I prefer. Do I want to come back and do this life again, or do I want another chance somewhere else? What if I don't have the opportunities I had this time to develop myself if I came back in another family in another life in the future, which is why Gurdjieff says it's really important to do this work now when you've got the books there for you to tell you or his teachings to show you how to get out of this. Because he talks about having, we have seven bodies. And this is also from the ancient Egyptians and quite a few other places, I'm sure, you because you've talked about ancient Egypt before. Yeah, it's you know, a magic number as well, isn't it? Seven. Yeah, exactly. And we've got our car body, our bar body, our ack body, and these are all to help you develop your soul. And I think this is, well, I definitely believe this is what Gurdjieff is saying. This whole thing is, a, this whole planet is to help you develop your soul. It's like a, a soul school. And we're all born with a germ of a soul, he says. We've all got this germ of a soul in us. But it's how we develop from childhood into teenage years, whether that soul develops. And I'm sure you've met many people that are soulless. And I'm sorry to say I've met many people that are soulless, which has probably been through their upbringing and things. But they can get their soul back. They can work on it because it's still a germ in them. And so we want to develop our soul to kind of 
develop it so we can escape and go into the next part of whatever evolution is. A lot of the um, particularly Eastern mysticisms, they talk about detachment, especially on the, the physical plane, that you've got to sort of detach yourself from your your belongings, your, uh, I mean, especially Buddhism. It's kind of terrifying and off-putting for Westerners like me to sort of give up. Like, how can you be detached from your kids? Your kids are everything. They're your whole reason for for living, they're the centre of your world. I mean, that's some, just a complete roadblock for me. What's What does Gurdjieff say about things like detachment? Well, he definitely poo-poos detaching yourself from your family. He says family is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. You have the opportunity to bring up children in the best possible way, you know. Uh, he says family is... Uh, he was so, so important to one. I think it's more... For him, it's not necessarily detachment from material things, but it's... He, he did say that he's brought the East to the West and he's trying to bring the two together. So there are things in the East he agrees with. He didn't really do medita- meditations, but he did do what they call sittings, where you would sit uh, first thing in the morning, preferably as the sun's rising, and feel your body. You know, concentrate on perhaps your legs first, then your arms, then your torso, then your head. You know, connect with yourself. But he didn't mean go and find an empty, you know, try and find mindfulness or uh, switch off from things. It wasn't that kind of meditation. But for detachment to, I'd have to think about that because. Well, I'm thinking it'll it, it like, important. Sorry. I was just, it's just come back to me. I mean, um, this is Uspensky again, so I know it's not exactly the same guy, but very closely related. But. I remember there's three modes that he discusses, the way of the fakir, the way of the monk, is it? And the way of yeah. the... Yogi. Bon- yogi. Yeah, so you've got your three ways, your monk, fakir, yogi. So the monks works on his emotions. You know, he's praying, trying to connect with his God. Um, your fakir's working on... I sometimes get these fakirs working on the body. You know, you, you see them with their arms up and it's all withered and they've not let their arm down for 30 years. Kind of ascetic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then your yogi's working on his emotions, learning to, you know, control his emotions so he can lie on a bed of nails or whatever, I suppose. <laughs> um, and what Burgess' fourth way is, is bringing the three of them together. So they're like the three centres I was saying about earlier, your intellect, which is the fakir, the monk, the emotions, and the yogi, the body. Or, no, Faki is the body. Yogi is the uh, <coughs> mind. <laughs> but bringing them three together to make a fourth way. You need all them three in balance to become a balanced man. And he then says that people that start working on that, people that are, they become a fourth man, what's known as the fourth man or fourth woman. Yeah. Um, and you can work your way up to fifth, sixth, seventh, and uh, that was kind of intriguing about the book because uh, Uspensky is talking about you know these these um, six, uh, seventh, and eighth men are probably completely hypothetical. No one's ever probably got there, and, and maybe there was a few allusions to sort of spiritual leaders of the past, like the J, you know, Big J C. Yeah, uh, maybe J C. Maybe he was a long way. I believe they were number sevens, if I remember what um, I read in one of the teachers, uh, one of the students of Gurdjieff said that 
And people used to wonder if Gurdjieff was a number seven man. I, I myself think he definitely wasn't a number four. He was above that. He was a five or six. Oh, well, explain that because sort of what's... Uh, how shall I grade myself, Debbie? Am I what, a two and a half, maybe? <laughs> what's like? What's like? Barely. The, what, what's the standard for the for the number system? Well, I think anybody that's doing this kind of work or doing even people that are doing shows like because I don't know what you do for spiritual practices, but you're interested in this kind of thing, aren't you? Your shows that you've done over the uh, few years I've seen are uh, quite not necessarily spiritually driven, but they're investigative, they're truth-seeking, isn't it, mm-hmm. shows you're trying to do. That, to me, is man number four. You're, man number one, like, let's say, um, I always forget which is mind, intellect. So uh, that would be, you know, one of those professors who always is very clever, but he's so absent-minded. That would be one, maybe man number one. Man number two, possibly a sports person, super physically fit, but maybe doesn't have their emotions and intellect very well to interact with the world unless they're concentrated on doing that sporting event. Uh, man number three, let's say, is the emotional one. That's probably a poet. Actor. Actor, yeah, because they're putting all their emotions into everything. But they've still got the intellect. You know, all three of them have still got a bit of intellect. It's all at degrees, mm. but they're bringing number, man number four, bringing the three together, or people, I think, that have realised that they want to look further than just being man number one, number two, or number three. Debbie, I uh, I practice qigong and tai chi. Do I get any extra points for that? <laughs> <laughs> I do that too. <laughs> so, yes. Excellent. Yes. You're, you're four and a half, Ben. Nice. <laughs> so, what's, what's, um, so you would say you characterise, we're talking in broad strokes here, so you, you characterise a, a man number four, uh, man, we're talking obviously we mean men and women. Men this and women, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. A man number four is someone who's at least uh, starting on the journey. Yeah. So, what would uh, a, a man or woman number five look like then? Well, I think to be man number four, it's a real big, big, big path you get to number five because it's a lot of work. Yeah. Like it's like big path. Man number one, number two, number three, little paths to develop to number four. But you have to do so much work to get to number five. I, I don't, I've met various people, I would say, a number five when I've been to Gurdjieff groups or conferences because I can see people that have worked on themselves all their lives and have actually worked with people that are that were students of Gurdjieff so the lineage has continued so they've got a proper teaching and I can see that they're more uh, centered in themselves they have time for people they have time for themselves they're not rushing around they you can see that they ponder about things, they have consideration, being kind, you know, all the things that would be, you know, nice if everybody was like it. <laughs> Does authenticity, would that play into it? Absolutely. We're trying to be, yeah, authentic, as, as authentic as you can, because one of the things that will stop you in your spiritual path is lying to yourself, which is one of the main problems with working on yourself. We don't want to admit that we can be a bit of a... Shit. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Or, you know, don't want to admit that we're a bit weak, but, you know, you have to learn not to lie to yourself. So these kinds of people, they wouldn't, you would feel, you can feel it in their energy. So are spiritual leaders up there, and and what happened to the Dalai Lama when he started sucking tongues? Did he get knocked down a few levels? 
Personally, I think he got taken over by dark forces a few years ago. But that even before this last few years of a shit show, he was changing. Mm. You know, I, 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 he used to be my hero, and I can't even remember what it was. But I think it was about 2018. He started saying things that I was like, "This ain't right." Uh, I don't know how to explain it, and I just had this feeling from watching him that he just didn't seem to be the same. Mm. So I, I do get concerned that these people could get taken over. And, you know, I, I watch a lot of conspiracy stuff. I'm concerned about cloning. I'm concerned about what dark forces could do. But that tongue-sucking was a bit weird, even though they are trying to say, well, it's a Tibetan thing that they do out there. It's just a saying. But um, I suppose that goes back to Gorgiev in the... Oh, it may have been the other guy. But in the... Um, when you're, you know, you're wandering around and you're focused on other things and, and you're not concentrating on on the real you and all that sort of stuff if you're if you're a follower of these people and then they all of a sudden change or some do something really super weird it can be crushing if you're if you're a you know you're a serious um acolyte acolyte yeah well uh, that's to, the other thing we mustn't put people on pedal stools you know it yeah. was a lesson for me i've just got to remember what the dalai lama used to teach is very valuable what he used to do is very valuable i don't really watch him now so i don't know what he's doing or what he's up to but um you know his past work very important and people do make mistakes maybe he did make an error in in judgment that day but just um definitely i don't think people should put people on pedestals but i do discover from people that come to me that are trying to learn things. They're looking for teachers all the time. People want to look up to someone. They don't have trust in themselves that they can do this work themselves. And I know Gurdjieff used to say, you need a teacher and a school. Well, that was 100 years ago. Times have changed. <laughs> and wow. we're going into the age of Aquarius, which is every man for himself. We've come out of the age of Pisces, which was the, the uh, aeon of teachers. So we had JC, Buddha, Zarashtra, many others whose names slip my mind but the teachings are all there for us but people are still wanting someone to look up to and that's a weakness in humanity sadly i've i've not heard that before debbie you mentioned the age of pisces we're talking about the like the grand year the procession of the equinoxes yeah. here so um pisces the age of pisces the last 2160 years roughly being the age of teachers and aquarius being the age of what was it how did you describe like the individual Oh, the individual. I, I said each man for himself or each yeah. one. But in a way, it, this is, it's not, um, because we're still in the age of Pisces, which is why everything's all. We're on the cusp. Because we're, go yeah, we're on the cusp, exactly. It's all changing. Um, but I don't think any teachers will come in the age of Aquarius because the teachers have been, and we need to learn from them teachers that have given us everything we need to know. Is what? What's the. Um... The origin of that that thinking that the age of the Aquarius is the age of the individual is that does that come from astrology or from symbology from or somewhere else? Yes, it's from um, it's an astro astro astrological connotation. Is it? Mm, yeah, it was from someone that I did um, lots of astrological courses with uh, uh, some couple of different teachers in London back in. I know Diana was still alive, <laughs> uh, Princess Diana, because we did an astrological chart of her. And so she was still alive at this time. And that said on it, she will never be queen. Gosh. Yeah. That was a shocker for me. That She had, I'm pretty sure she, her and Charles had split up by then. But um, 
Oh, it was ni- it 97 when she start. died. Sorry? It was 97 when she died. Right, so I must have done these astrological courses in, like, the mid-90s. And it's something that one of the classes the teacher was all about, we did the aeons, and he was explaining about how, like, you see the age of Aquarius, the symbol is the, sometimes it's a man, sometimes it's a woman, a water carrier. Yeah. So we've got the water, which is the age of Pisces. We've got the teachings is there. And the man or the woman has to carry it themselves. Or <laughs> and pour, drink from it. Drink or, from them waters and learn. Often depicted as pouring it away, which yeah, is kind of a dark thing. interpretation. <laughs> which I think my astrologer friend, uh, teacher told me, but I, it slipped my mind because I was too blown away about, oh, there's no teachers come. Because I was waiting for a messiah back in them days. Uh. <laughs> And he was explaining, you are the, you know, you guys are going, and girls are going to be the messiahs of yourselves, which is also what the Gurdjieff work's all about. You know, we need to develop ourselves. Where are we on the procession then? How many more years before it, the transition? Well, it depends on which astrology you go with. Yeah, where do you start counting? I feel we were on a cusp, like you were saying. Phil, I think, we... Yeah, I think if you go off the spring equinox or whatever it is, whatever the marking point is i think we're sort of in between pisces it's, it's to do with what constellation the sun's rising uh, right. uh, in, uh, behind uh, in front of i think on the spring ex- equinox so i think we're somewhere in the middle okay and my friend went and that last year he went out on a boat and saw it apparently you know um and he said it was still in pisces but it was it wasn't center pisces so the thing know, is like <laughs> the constellations are different sizes it's, it's very strange. It's something I don't, you know, I'm not, I can't really talk about because I think there's, you know, sort of to divide the 360 degrees between the 12 signs, I'm not, you know, I think it's very, personally, that I get the impression that it's more symbolic than, than, than maybe uh, most people, well, a lot of people. I know what you're saying because also the planets moved and the Western astrology is not in line with what the planets and stars are in the sky as we look at it. Yeah. Vedic astrology is. And this guy that I, who went out and looked at the spring equinox last year, he's a Vedic astrologer. So they're saying we're still in the age of Pisces, but it is coming towards the end. But, you know, he can't... He, I was joking with him, saying, did you put a ruler up and count down the years? And he was like, no, you can't do it like that. That's what I want. That's the answer I want. Yeah, that's what I want. <laughs> well... Debbie, I've just looked at the time. We've blown over an hour already. I don't know where it's gone. Yeah? Yeah? We're going to have to do this again because there's so much we could talk to you about. It's great. Um, Talking to someone who's sort of spent so much time, I I imagine there's a million subjects we could talk to you about. Absolutely. I'd love to do it again because you guys, I love, like I was saying before, I love your shows. I watch them anyway, so I'm always happy to come back. Always nice to meet a fan, Debbie. (laughs) You're such a number. You're such a number four. Yeah, such a number four. Stop kidding yourself. Gosh, um, Debbie. Um, all the links will be in the show notes. Is there any anything or anywhere you want to point people to online? Well, um, my latest book's out, Exercising Witches, which is a fictional book about an exorcist who can see the demons that need exercising. And my book, Monkey Mind, Robot Bodies, my fiction book about becoming transhumanism, has suddenly got popular again. So. If people like reading and want to hear my theories and theologies of my books, please check my work out. I have a website. Do you write? You... Do you write nonfiction as well? Only for Hermes Risen and right. for 
perhaps I've, uh, you know, if, if I speak at a conference or something, but that's about it, yeah. Cool. Right, well, debbie-elliott.co.uk. Yeah, that's the website. Links are in the show notes, as ever. Hermes Risen, online mag, and YouTube as well. You're on YouTube. Hmm. DJ Elliot. Yeah, so drop us something. But not the there. DJ music DJ. <laughs> yeah, it's DJ Elliot, isn't it? Yeah, there was only two of us when I started, and it was a DJ Elliot that does music, and then there was me. <laughs> <laughs> well, check it out. Okay, well, thanks so much, Debbie. It's been uh, wonderful to meet you. Yep. And, Thank uh, you. Stay on the line for a minute while we play ourselves out. And you lot out in podcast land, we shall return very shortly for part two. Do some funny, uh, some news. Funny. <laughs> I was going to say funny stuff. It's like, yeah, it is. It mainly is. Funny, haha. Funny, peculiar. Both. Both. Yeah, <laughs> in equal measure. Well integrated. Like Excellent. a true man number four that I am. <laughs> <laughs> right. Catch you on the flip side. So, ciao for now. Bye. Bye. Tell you what, we have a laugh, don't we? We do. <laughs> yeah, we enjoy some. <sighs> we do. We do have a dark side, though. And these guys, I mean, they're having fun now, but my goodness, they've also got a dark side. <laughs> uh, oh, good, good, good job. Things are working, eh? It is. Yeah, yeah I managed to fix it. Spent an hour last night. I did a clandestine uh, stream to uh, Twitter. Right. Oh, it's tw- just to oh. Twitter, yeah. Twitterati, yeah, yeah, just to do some gremlin crushing. Did you crush them? I crushed my enemies. Did you hear the lamentations what? of the women? What is best in life, Conan? To crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and hear the lamentations of the women. I mean, screw your freedom. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> Conan. Yeah. It's still bloody hot. It's raining though now, which is good. And these guys, I mean they're having fun now, but my goodness, <laughs> they've also got a dark side. Wow. Misfire. Misfire. Not ready. Alright, then we're back. Oof. The cripple and the giant fucking lenses. Well nice. I yeah. cut the cripple out there. Yeah. No, you didn't. You cut the dwarf out. Sorry, the dwarf. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, Matt's not here this week. He's on yeah, a, a builder emergency. Yes. But never mind, we shall proceed. That was our chat with Debbie Elliott. That was good fun, wasn't it? It's good, yeah, yeah. I didn't know anything about Gorbachev before that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she didn't go into like the birthmark when we asked no, about his bio. Spitting image, I thought would have been mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, G.I. George uh, Ivanov, uh, Ivanovich, Gurdjieff is the guy. Uh, yeah, an esoteric uh, big hitter of some repute who doesn't get much attention. You know, people think about Blavatsky and uh, Crowley and Carl, yeah. Carl Jung's probably the most famous esotericists of the modern age. The big three. Yeah, Isaac Newton, whatnot. Uh, but not Gurdjieff, so interesting to learn a bit more about him and more to learn. I'm sure we'll meet up with Debbie again Yeah, further down the line and, and uh, have a continue on Gurdjieff or tackle something else. Oh, yeah. Should be good. Will be good. Right then, shall we get on with this shit show? Let's housekeeping. Do some house. Oh, hang on, <laughs> jumping gun here. What do we normally do? Headlines. Headlines. <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> show me what you got. Headlines. 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 Headlines.
First one, dead woman found been found breathing in coffin. Oof. Yeah, you tackle this one, Ben. You can read, do some That's work. Right. <clears throat> read this out. This is, this is a cold read, by the way. It ben is, yeah. has not seen this. I've not seen this. Uh, mourners at the wake of an Ecuadorian woman were startled to discover she was still alive. A hospital doctor in the city of Babahayo. Was she called Sash? She was called Bella Montoya. Ecuador? Oh, Ecuador, yes. Sash. Christ, that's a weird, weird link. Uh, Dead. (laughs) Following a suspected stroke. She was placed in a coffin and taken to a funeral parlour where relatives held a vigil before her planned burial. When, after almost five hours, they opened the coffin to change her clothes (laughs) ahead of the funeral. As you do. Uh, The woman gasped for air. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, my mum started to move her left hand. I don't do voices, Phil. I can't do Ecuador. South American. Mm. No. Think of a gringo. Incas. In <laughs> no, it's the gringo. Uh, my mum started to move her left hand. So <laughs> <laughs> to open her eyes. So I found her, I know. Uh, <laughs> she struggled to breathe. Her son, Gilbert Balbaran, <laughs> described. Wait, where's the punctuation? Uh, her son, Gilbert Balbaran described the moment he realised his mother was still alive. Video taken by a mourner shows her lying in an open coffin, struggling to breathe, Jeez. while another complains that an ambulance they had called had not yet arrived. Minutes later, firefighters arrive and lift Bella Montoya onto a stretcher and take her back to the hospital where she'd been declared dead. <laughs> you, wouldn't you take her to a different hospital? Well, yeah. They seem to have fucked it up the first time. These guys are quacks. <laughs> A son told Ecuadorian media that she was in intensive care, but was responsive. <laughs> My mum is on oxygen. Her heart is stable. The doctor pinched her hand and she reacted. They tell me that's good because it means she is reacting little by little. Newspaper El Universo quoted him as saying, Mr. Balbaran said he had taken his mother's hospital about 9am and at noon a doctor told him that she died. Uh, he said a death certificate had been issued stating that she'd suffered cardiopulmonary arrest after suffering a stroke. Bellamont, after suffering a stroke, full stop. Fine. New paragraph. Uh, Bella Montoya is not the only person to come alive after being officially declared dead. Is she she's still alive then, did it say? Well, spoiler alert, and if it's not in here, I'll, I'll add it to the end. Uh, in February, an 82-year-old woman was found to be breathing while lying in a funeral home in New York State. She had pr- been pronounced dead three hours earlier at a nursing home. Dr. Stephen Hughes, a senior lecturer in medicine at Angela Ruskin University School of Medicine in Chelmsford, said such cases are very uncommon, but he points out... Chelmsford, that would be Essex. Uh, yes, Essex. So he said <laughs> such cases are very uncommon, but he points <sighs> out... I can't, he's not said anything yet. Oh. Uh, he, he points out death is uh, is a process. Sometimes somebody may look like they're dead, but they're not quite dead. That's <laughs> <laughs> accused told the BBC. Careful examination is necessary to confirm death. Oh, shit. The consultant in emergency medicine says if patients don't respond and have no pulse, doctors listen for heart sounds and watch for breathing effort for at least a minute. If that's all absent, then you can say they're dead. But it may be hard even for health professionals to determine that someone has died, for example, when bodies are very cold. The patient in such instances will have an almost imperceptibly slow heart rate and their bodies will have shut down, Dr. Hughes says. 
Some drugs can also slow down body processes, giving the right. appearance of death. Yeah. Yeah. Um, such confounding factors can happen if the examination is carried out in a cursory manner or under time pressure. Right. Yeah, she's dead. Come on, move on. Next. Next. <laughs> uh, Ecuador's health ministry has set up a committee to investigate the incident, and I can confirm tonight that she is dead. Oh, She died seven days later uh, as a result of a stroke. Bloody hell. I know. But what a week. I mean, gosh, she was in the coffin alive. You've heard those sort of urban myths about coffins being exhumed and there being scratch marks on the lids on the inside of the lid yeah mad it's mad and you know i've made no um you know it's not um i've not hidden this fact you know mm. that i of course want an open funeral pyre in the woods uh, okay. and a seven-day festival oh, to, to celebrate my life of, what kind of festival uh techno <laughs> <laughs> Right. Okay. I want transhumanists. Yes. Um, that, that's all I've thought of. Ball, ball worshippers. Ball worshippers. <laughs> ball worshippers. Right. Um, yeah, open funeral pyre. And failing that, a yeah, classic Viking funeral, pushing well, out on a boat. An open funeral pyre would be sort of Darth Vader style, wouldn't it? Yeah. On Endor? Does it have to be on Endor? Could it be like, you know, in the... In, uh, it can be in the Beacon new forest. Fe- Beacon Fell. <laughs> yeah, Beacon Fell, yeah. yeah. Right. Happy for that. Yeah. But um, I, I don't know. Are you allowed to do those? Sorts of I'm sure you can't. No. No. I can't can you act. It's heavily regulated, isn't it? Handling of, of dead bodies. But if you own the land and surround me by with um, like foot and mouth ridden cows <laughs> and then set fire to the whole shebang. And then we could have a barbecue after. Uh, yeah, barbecue afterwards, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, count me in. Mystery meat and beef. <laughs> <laughs> God, his hair all over this burger. No, we don't have to worry about that. I mean, I, you know, I am getting on a bit. I think I've probably only got another 120 to 150 years left. Um, but you, you know, you're all invited. Wow, oh, cool. All right, we'll we'll put it in the show notes when he pops his clogs. <laughs> Where it'll be episode three million. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on. Did this flying squirrel fake its own death? Have you seen this? No. All right, I've got a news report, video style coming in. This is a video. Here we go. In a dramatic display that's almost Oscar-worthy, a flying squirrel has faked its own death and then even staged a crime scene. All right, so in a clip that's gone viral, the rodent knocks over a broom. When it fails to land in a convincing position, the squirrel has a bit of a rethink... A forward roll, so it ends up under the broom. It's pretty convincing for a devastating murder scene. And it, hang on, follow the story. Ah, that's brilliant. What the fuck? That's amazing. A squirrel ending up with arms displayed and the murder weapon across its Do you see him? He knocks the broom over. Yeah. Carelessly. Let's watch it again. So this squirrel's in a kitchen and there's like a little dustpan and broom set up by him and he knocks the broom over. He goes, shit, I shouldn't have done that. Me, me dad's going to be pissed off. And then he fakes his own death. That's the In a dramatic display that's almost Oscar-worthy, <coughs> a flying squirrel has faked its own death. There you go. And then he- so he's, he's sort of light. He's sort of lying down for a kip, isn't he, for a rest. Knocks over the broom. He's been staged a crime scene. All right, so in a clip that's gone viral, the rodent knocks over a He thinks about just running away and leaving it. That's yeah. what I would have done. Yeah. Someone else will clean that up. Sort <laughs> that out, put that away. And he thinks, no, no, I'll get in trouble. 
Dad will know it was me. Broom. When it fails to land in a convincing position, the squirrel has a bit of a rethink, a forward roll, <laughs> so it ends up under the broom. It's <laughs> pretty convincing. Oh, no, this isn't serious enough. ...for a devastating murder scene. <laughs> and then, hang on, oh, sorry, squirrel... He then splays himself out with the broom handle across his neck. That's it's mental. Mad. I wonder how long he stayed there. Until he was discovered. He's still there now. All <laughs> ending up with arms splayed and the murder weapon across <laughs> its chest. It was the squirrel in the laundry with the broom. Conclusive evidence. Amazing, eh? That is amazing. I like it. Animals do the funniest things. They do, don't they? So much to make a show. Yeah. All right, last one. Fools of rock. Fury as uni, university, where staff faced repeated layoffs, will spend two years researching death metal at a cost of £200,000. Sign me up. Yeah, this is... Uh, which university is it? Huddersfield. Oh, that's yeah, where the sheep farm Shankar, boys are from. Yeah. yeah. Sheep farm boys from Huddersfield. A uh, university where staff face repeated layoffs is to spend two years researching death metal costing 200 grand. News of the bizarre music project sparked fury after three lots of cuts in a year. Bosses asked for more voluntary redundancies last month before Dr. Eric Smilek's ridiculous quest was announced at the University of Huddersfield. The Canadian Senior Research Fellow will analyse vocals used in extreme metal which includes death, doom, and black metal from bands including Possessed. Never heard of them. Never heard of Possessed. Never heard of Possessed. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking Sepultura. Yeah. <laughs> Are they Brazilian, Sepultura? I th- I'm, I've, I'm getting South, South American, American vibes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, surely Brazil. Geez, yeah. <coughs> do you know uh, Ace Ventura Pet Detective, the movie? I do. Sepultura, I'm pretty sure, are the band in the club that he goes to when he's looking for Snowflake. Oh, really? The Miami Dolphins mascot. That's a good fact, that. That's somewhere I've pulled that out of the mine palace somewhere. <laughs> in the lounge, just on the mantelpiece next to the carriage clock. The Canadian uh, senior... Oh, Possessed, that's who I'm. He's backed by £190,380 of government funding. Right, so we're that- paying for it. Yeah, I'm just trying to think how many years of my tax and national insurance that would be to fund this study. Um, a, long, a lot of Facebook's tax and national insurance because generally I pay more than them. Well, yes. Uh, but anyway, that's by the by. Uh, from UK Research and Innovation, that's the government body that's allocated this fundi- funding, uh, one insider said, what benefit will this bring anyone? And it comes in the current climate with people starving and unable to pay bills and some losing their jobs. It's ridiculous. The Students' Union has criticised university job cuts there while TV star Stephen Fry has spoken out for under-threat staff. He treated, he tweeted, I was shocked to hear that a savage knife has been taken to the quite brilliant linguistics department there. <laughs> Typical Stephen Fry comment, that isn't it? Yes. Explaining the project, Dr. Smilek said, the early extreme metal bands had not grown up listening to extreme metal, so their vocalists have very individual styles. It's interesting and fun to chart all the nuances like a map and see how different conventions developed. I'm sure you can do, like, courses on pop music or the Beatles. The famous one was David Beckham's studies, wasn't it? About ten years ago, maybe? Right. There was a university course that you could do uh, in David Beckham's studies. 
There's a hell of a lot of death, black, and uh, doom metal bands out there, though. Yeah, but I'm guessing it started in like the early 90s with bands like Sepultura. Well, yeah. And, uh, well, yeah. and It's where the vocals are indecipherable, isn't it? Grunted. It's, it's called Doom. Is it called Doom Voice? Yeah, I mean, if you expand it back to obviously metal and metal in general. Yeah, but like, if you think of forerunners of metal like Metallica, Med- Megadeth, you can hear what they're singing. Saxon. <laughs> Saxon. Anvil. Anvil, Anvil, yes. Black Sabbath. Sabbath, yeah. I mean, they'd, they'd be the first heavy metal band, really, wouldn't they? Yeah. Kendall's gathered in their masses. Led Zeppelin, arguably. A proto-metal band. I'd argue that. I would argue that. With Led Zeppelin? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Did you ever read Hammer of the Gods? Like, I've read it, yeah. Stephen yeah. someone. It was a Led Zeppelin biopic mm. book, wasn't it? Yeah, it was good Telling talk. all the stories about what they used to get up to, the hijinks. Those crazy boys. Jimmy Page, et al. Uh, the university said, the project is not being paid for by the university. It is being funded by UK Research and Innovation. Randy. UK Randy is the, uh, the acronym. <laughs> R and I. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. So who funds UK Research and Innovation? Taxpayer it comes Yay. out of general taxation apparently, but I can't wait to see the results. I I'd go to that graduation. <laughs> Would you in a Slipknot outfit? Not a Slipknot. Then then new metal. I don't think they count. I mean, that could, they must have been around twenty years. Oh, easy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the yeah. Do you know who, who uh, I like in that sort of genre? Limp Biscuit. Corn. <laughs> Housekeeping. <laughs> <laughs> What a segue. Hey, that was completely off the cuff, you know that. It's beautiful. If you uh, find this podcast valuable, please consider returning some value. There's a myriad of ways of doing this, and my favourite way of returning value, as ever, every week, is word of mouth. Spread the word. If you're, uh, whatever, what the fuck? That was a hard cut, wasn't it? Jesus, I've got a bit finger, trigger finger happy with the old fader there. But if you enjoy what we do, spread the word, particularly online, wherever you are online. Maybe you're in Facebook groups, Telegram channels, uh, Discord servers, Element servers, wherever you are, your online presence, Reddit. Well, that's a thing that I don't do, but mm-hmm. share the love. You can also do do it physically. You know, about physically burning DVDs uh, yes. and throwing them like ninja stars at people. What's the best way of distributing said DVDs? Aerially, through the air. <laughs> Aerially. <Exactly>. yeah. <laughs> or gaffer taping USB sticks with the podcast to your fingers and then just going around gouging people's eyes out. Gouge his eyes! Wow. Like, like Stanford Strong. Super effective. How else can you become a producer, drop your eavesdropping ways and become a producer of this podcast? Well, you could um, leave us a review and send it to us. If you don't send it to us, it's a bit difficult for us to <clears throat> kind of dig them out because there's a lot of different... Oh my god! Podcast platforms out there. So many, so, isn't there? Yeah, podcast yeah. addicts, iTunes. We we can't see them all. We don't everything. get not- notified if someone leaves us a review. So please, if you do leave us a review, forward it to us at thearmsinquisition at gmail dot com or via the socials, and we will happily read it out. We will uh, sign up for the newsletter. Link in the show notes for that. 
the Rumspringer newsletter comes out the first of every month. You get a preview of the guests who are coming that month. 10% discount code for the merch store, um, the occasional article, book review, memes, jokes. And uh, it's a secondary uh, method of comms if, God forbid, something were to happen to this YouTube channel. Ugh. And then, uh, you know, or something else, you know, like all, what was it, Linktree? That got yeah, nerfed, Linktree, that got we? destroyed, yeah. the Discord, Discord got destroyed. So, uh, yeah, sign up to the newsletter and then at least we can keep tabs with you if uh, something happens. Do we print those out in the case of coronal mass ejection? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, I think distribution of our newsletter will be the least of our problems <laughs> if a major Micronova or CME... I think it's worth considering though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll put it I'll put it on I'll put it on the list. It's probably low priority. This um what you, what you could do is um send some show artwork in. Mm, yeah. Yeah, we encourage submissions for show artwork for the podcast. And um we didn't get any submissions this week. I knocked this one up based off the thumbnail. Here we go, two hundred and eighty five. Debbie Elliott. That is not Debbie Elliott. <laughs> I was gonna say she shaved her mustache. <laughs> <laughs> That's George Gurdjieff there, uh, looking very whimsical, whimsically off into the distance. Got those saggy, baggy eyes. What kind of hat is that? It's almost Russian. A Russian. Hat. I think it's a Russian hat. It looks like a Phrygian cap to me. It goes with his collar. Mithras fans, or Perseus fans. Is it a mushroom? Everything's a mushroom. Everything's a mushroom. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I meant to uh, we just run out of time, but I wanted to ask Debbie about um, psychedelics, if uh, Gojeff had experimented with uh, artificial pathways towards Ooh. enlightenment. But, you know, we only have so much time. And Next time. So many questions, not enough time. Uh, so we've done the show artwork. How else can you become a producer? Uh, you can buy merchandise from the Amish loot chest. Oh, yeah, good one. I've got uh, a few examples here from the merch store, the Bacon Nuts T-shirt. Who doesn't want a T-shirt with a pig with massive bollocks on it? I, mean, I don't know. Lots of people, evidently, because we don't <laughs> seem to sell many. <laughs> That's the kind of T-shirt I want to see at a festival. Yes. It's yes. festival season, eavesdroppers. Yeah. Come on. We can get it on a mug. This Enrobe is... yourself in testicles. This is the best one. Three weeks to flatten the earth. By This is from Lee from uh, The Big Conspire. Um. He, uh, he, Lee, and his brother Rick uh, live stream every Friday over on Twitch. If you're short for something to do on a Friday night, check them out. Oh, we've got Debbie in the chat. I did have a Hi, shave Debbie. this evening. There you are, you see. There you go. Natasha's gone. Uh, literally a communist hoodie. That's another good one. Yeah. Sold a few of them. Popular. And, uh, you know, the logo. You get the logo on a T-shirt, hoodies and whatnot. Uh, you get something to keep, and we get a little slice from Teespring. And again, if you uh, sign up to newsletter, you get a ten percent discount code for the month. If you want to, uh, that's some apparel. That's so so nice of us to offer that. Yeah, Helen in the chat, most comfortable T-shirt ever. Can't argue with that. Helen must have got the premium. So there's oh, various price yes. points. So it's like the standard T-shirt, which is probably like a, a cheap old Fruit of the Loom style one, all the way up to premium. I don't think I've ever worn a premium oh. T-shirt. Oh, well, once you've had premium, I don't think you go, Matt. Do you not? Oh. No. I can't uh, <laughs> Join the Element server. <clears throat> I mentioned it before, but mm. um, that's the social hub 
where you can link up with, link up with us. Um, it operates like Discord, but there's a bit of a learning curve. It's slightly different. You can get onto it via web browser, so you don't have to download the app if you don't want. If you if you like me, you're like, gosh, I've got so many apps on my phone that take up room, and I want to get rid of them. Um, it does work better off the app, I find, but you don't need to. And that's the social hub where you can get in contact with us. You can send us um, news articles, video clips, yeah. uh, intel, things that you might want us to cover. It's the main place I go for um, the content for this part of the podcast. I look through the the news uh, room in there and uh, pick things to cover in part two. Yeah, you can put... Um birthday shout outs in there guest suggestions there's areas for that guest suggestions is great man it's like we've only got a few two three pairs of eyes and ears to be on the lookout for people who are doing interesting things in the in content creation Mm. or uh, authors or whatnot music i don't know whatever tell Uh, us if something exciting's happened to you you know, oh, we, yeah. we are interested. Synchronicities, man. I'd like to hear synchronicities, synchronicity mm. stories. Uh, focus cheer requests. Yeah, if that. you've got a, you know, something you need to <laughs> help with. I'm rubbish at uh, this. Uh, this is Matt's job. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Apocalypse is asking when Stig is coming back on the show. Good question. Very soon, actually. Stig. Stig, all being well, we might, we might have internet connectivity issues, but hopefully Stig will be coming back very soon. Uh, by popular demand. Yes. By popular demand. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Focus Cheap. So this is a service that's unique to this podcast. We offer as a community together to focus our chi to you for your given aim. If you've got a job interview coming up, a big uh, presentation that you're nervous about, maybe you've got a driving test coming up. Helen yes. passed her driving test on Friday. Congratulations. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we should take all the credit for it. Some, though. A slice of it. Yeah, I want three points deducted from my own license <laughs> for uh, for that. Right. <laughs> Ingratitude. <laughs> so, um, yeah, this is something we do. Maybe, maybe you've got some health things bugging you, or you're just feeling a bit down in the dumps. Email us at thearmsinquisition at gmail.com or via the socials or the element... And put in your focus chi request, and we will do it. We You're will... talking to level four plus chi practitioners here. I think Debbie was like trying to keep our feet on the ground. I think she right. knows we're sixes all the way. <laughs> <laughs> sixes all the way, man. Confirmed. <laughs> six, six, six. Oh, oh gosh, don't say the number of the beast. Gosh, the Lord of the Flies. Um, have we done? What else have we done? We've done birthdays, guest suggestions, focus chi. I think that's all, all the main things, isn't it? What's the best way to become a producer? Is it throwing us some money? Toss a coin! Toss a coin to your witcher. That's right, do oh, it for the lads. 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 Yeah, because we, know we, we, know, we do know what we're doing, don't we? We do. They know what they're doing, Lair. Kind of. You go to theomisinquisition.com or the Element server. You'll find a PayPal button there, or it's down in the show notes. Mm. And you can give us a one-off donation or sign up for a monthly recurring sustaining donation. No paywalls, no sponsorship deals, no adverts, no buy part one, get part two for free. Patreon specials, none of that. Oh, uh, yeah, bonus content. Yeah. Yeah, um, everything is up there for free. I know there's adverts on the YouTube now, but guess what? It gets backed up to at least two other video channels where you can watch it for free without adverts. Well, we have no control whether they put adverts on. 
everything is voluntary. That's the the value value proposition. So mm-hmm. we can't do it without the generosity of you folks out there donating, so and, uh, helping to keep the lights. They are so amazing, aren't they? Mm-hmm. In their love. In there. I'm totally yeah. Uh, mm. Sixes and sevens. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I know, yeah. it's, uh... oh, here we are, yeah. They are. Yeah. So amazing in their... Generosity. Absolutely. Uh, donating to us. Yes. Love and Yeah, love and support. <laughs> 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 All right. I think it's time we uh, we big these up, innit? I think so, Let's big yeah. up the producers for episode 285. It's time to big up the man Dems, yo. Who have we got? We have Richard Morris, Emma Bridges, Chris from sheepfarm.co.uk, Helen and Alaya. Thank you. Literally the best mate. Literally. <laughs> the best mate. Congratulations on becoming a doctor of thugonomics. <laughs> Thank you. The dwarfs, the currants, the grape, the doctor of thugonomics, the homophobe, the wind, the giant fucking lenses, the chest feeding, communist, the base sigma chad, the corn pop, the baby penis, inner asshole, these clockwork clowns, the dime bar, the number 11, the bee gang on the bus, oh, Willie G. The blind man, the big chungus, the cripple, and the mother. Money bickering from hell. Da, da, da. Chungus never seems so sus. Bring it on. <laughs> Are you retarded? I don't get it. Never will. So sus. So sus. He vents to electrical. Yeah, thanks for your support for another week. I, I had a YouTube comment to highlight, and I completely blew over it because I wasn't really looking at my notes, Oof. but. Got this uh, YouTube comment. It was in reference to last week. We, we mentioned briefly Gino DeCampo. Oh, yeah. We want to get him back on this morning. And he was, <laughs> was, it, he was caught burglarizing someone, weren't he? Yeah, was it um, the other <coughs> chef? Well, uh, we had a, a YouTube comment clarification incoming here. And this is from Dan Dawson. It was Paul Young's house. Wow. The singer from the 80s. Yeah. It was Paul Young's house, apparently. Gino fiddled with his pet monkey on the way out. And as a consequence, dropped Paul dropped <laughs> fuck me i'll start again <laughs> gino fiddled with his pet monkey on the way out and as a consequence dropped paul's favorite dragon dildo oh, oh really his favorite dragon dilly favorite dragon dildo. how many dragon dillies does he have i mean to have a favorite you could have at least two six <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's technically two but yeah i would say half a dozen i uh, yeah that's a good number of dildos <laughs> Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Ty Lee G. Oh, the 80s was a crazy time, man. Yeah. Wherever I lay my dragon dilly is my home. That's uh... <laughs> where's this Where's this podcast going? Who knows? Who knows? Only you, the listeners, can decide. I know. I don't know. In the bin. In the bin. Let's put it in the bin. Let's bin this shit. Open right pyre. Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, end of show ISOs. <laughs> end of show ISOs. Got a couple. Got one sent in from Emma this week. Emma Bridges. Um, this is what we play at the end of the show after the music dies. Um, how about this one? Bugger shape, funk shape, fucking sphincter, asshole up your ass, up your cunt. Well, ass angry. 
young gentleman. Guess who it was? Ah, uh, Paul Young. Fuck a shit, fuck fucking sphincter, asshole up your ass, up your cunt. I think I've heard it. Ah, <laughs> oh. is it the Pope? Got a clue. <laughs> yeah. Gordon's alive. Oh, is it? Is it your man? Brian Blessed. Wow. Are you retarded? <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I've got. I've got this one. You might like this one. I'll play this one instead. Satan is an evil clown. Satan is an evil clown. Satan is an evil clown. It sounds a bit like, um, <sighs> 12 rules guy. It is. Oh, it is. Excellent. <laughs> what do you think? Which one? I like the first one. Bugger shit, funk shit, <laughs> fucking sphincter, asshole up your ass, up your cunt. Satan is an evil clown. <laughs> that right. first one sounds a bit like Aggie from, uh, no, no, Kim, the other one, you know, the shouty, <laughs> the bitch one. He yeah. says, oh. Does she not be oh, given the chance to do that? my love, that little bitch. That one. That Kim, one. is it? That's Kim Woodburn. That little Kim bitch. Woodburn. That little bitch. You think that's who it is? It it's not, it's not really Brian. I don't think it's Brian Blessed. It's not, it's, uh, it's not really Brian Blessed. <laughs> Your friends are slags. <laughs> Your growlers. Look at it, you growlers. Close your legs. <laughs> Stop being slags, you little bitch. <laughs> All right, OK. Oh, dear. All right, so we'll do. We'll have Brian Blessed then yes. for the end of the show. Yeah, so, let's have okay. Brian. That's, that's decided then. That's it. That's how it works. Okay, same for the. Prostate. I am going to aim for the prostate in the men. Right, let's move on. Uh, we've done end the show ourselves. Um, all right, oh, right. We're going to do something slightly serious, briefly. Um, it's been the the old COVID um, inquiry thing has been kicking off. Oh yes. I've got this little uh, short news clip from ITV. It's uh, a little distressing, but, well, here it is. The footage is distressing, but it is far from unique. It's 2020, and Jane Smith is not allowed to see her mother, Rita, who lives in a care home just a mile away. <laughs> oh, Jane. <laughs> it is torture in solitude. Yeah. Months later, when restrictions were lifted, you could see what it meant to Rita. Love each other. We do love each other. We love each other very much, don't we? Rita would die in May 2021, and her daughter says the government got the pandemic lockdown spectacularly wrong. She doesn't pull any punches, uh, Jane, the uh, daughter of this lady. I just uh, It's important to highlight what they did. Uh, and not forget about this because life's returned to normality. Let's, yeah, I think, cool. periodically, have to remind ourselves what they actually did. The NHS has guidelines that look at improving quality of life, end of life, and it says you involve the family, you find out what that person wants for their end of life, and all of that was avoided. It, it was ignored, um, and so many people were isolated. And over 176,000 in-care homes died of isolation. Not of COVID. They died of the consequences of the government choices. And the government refused to mandate visits from family. They left it up to the care homes. I, uh, I checked online after seeing that clip. And in UK prisons, the 
maximum time you can be put in solitary confinement is 21 days. So that was massively exceeded by the, the care homes. Mm. And uh, while that was going on, uh, this video dropped today from the mirror of the, uh, the COVID lockdown yeah. Christmas party. <laughs> This is um, Tory com- uh, Conservative campaign headquarters in the during the first Christmas holiday lockdown, where uh, Jane was remote skyping her mother, and they were crying at each other. Yeah, yeah. It's not her boyfriend. No, no, it's not. Can we spread that? <laughs> So it's just like a, a standard office Christmas party. It's people pissed up, dancing and socialising. Any other Christmas, it would be perfectly acceptable. Yeah. <laughs> This guy's wasted, by the way. He, nearly, he falls into the table in a minute. <laughs> Oops. Laura? What do you think of this? Laura? Uh, that guy there in the braces. Uh, where is he? Let's get a close-up. That guy there. Yeah. This guy is uh, Ben Mallet. Okay, in Timmy's the son. Timmy Mallet's son, yeah, amazingly. He's just been awarded the OBE in Bojo's honours list. Oh, really? Yeah. He works for the Messina Group. I went to their Twitter page. TMG, the Messina Group, helps clients with, win good fights by harnessing the power of data-driven campaign strategies to achieve victory in corporate advocacy and political spheres. That's a bullshit sentence. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's technotwat speak, isn't it? But, um, yeah, so people are incandescent with this. Uh, this is the thin end of the wedge. I'm sure more videos like this are going to surface over the years eventually. Well, it's important to have that juxtaposition. Cause oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Not everyone will be viewing those videos side by side. No, yes. It's uh, not something we focus on. Because it's so, it can pull you down and, and get, you can end up going down fucking dark, sp- negative spirals. But very periodically, I think it's a good idea to remind ourselves what happened and hopefully learn, you know, for next time. Hmm. So let's get off that. And um, Helen, who passed the driving test this oh, week. Oh, yes. Driver Helen. Yes, new driver Helen. I told her to post like when she's leaving the house. P plates. Yeah. And yeah, her. Uh, Get off the road! Her whereabouts. <laughs> Gosh. Um, That's good. <laughs> she was asking in the element server about boob size. Oh, yeah. She, there was an article about some woman in the UK who'd had, I think she, she'd had surgery to give herself the biggest boobs in the country or something. To enhance the chesticles. Yeah, and it's just, it looks crazy. It's like... It, it's not. It just looks unnatural, doesn't it? Obviously, because it's it's done to an extreme. It's almost like a form of body dysphoria, or dysmorphia, or something. Mm-hmm. And so she was asking, do people actually, do men actually find this kind of stuff attractive, like these giant balloon type, low low Ferrari type boobies? Yeah. And uh, I found this video, which I think pretty much sums up my position and probably most men's position. Hey, babe. <laughs> 
Um, you're forgetting something up here? Oh my god, I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, my I thought like anything more than a handful's a waste. That's my sort of philosophy. I think um, I, I did see that picture of the £70,000 boob job that was posted, but I'd, uh, her skin looked very tight, is all I could think. I would imagine, yeah. It doesn't look comfortable. I think I think as long as it's, it's a bit squishy in certain places, I'm quite happy with that. Just yeah. a bit of squish, that's all we want, isn't it? That's it. Yeah. No, no, we're not fussy. We're, no. we're degenerate. Very easy to please. Degenerate males. <laughs> yeah. It's like... Well, hang on. Gosh. Level four degenerate. <laughs> oh, God, I've just dropped one, I think. I've dropped a level. I'm down to a three now. Bollocks. Oh, dear. I, uh, I don't know. I, uh, went to, I, I was hoping Matt was going to be here because I saw his mum today and she looks like she'd had a bloody argument with a revolving door. What? It blooming off her face, black and blue and swollen up. Oh, no. Must have taken a tumble. I should send him a message, but I think he had enough on this evening. Yeah, well, yeah, get well soon. Yeah. Oh, she looks, she seemed fine. She just, uh, she must have taken a fall. Right. Uh, uh, yeah, I went to church this morning. Did they let you in? <laughs> they let me in. It took some, yeah, I had sort of to sneak in, wait for it to start and then sneak in. Yeah, yeah. That's avoid, the avoid the holy water, obviously. Yeah. Like, it burns. Whoa. <laughs> And uh, yeah, the, well, the reason my uh, youngest son was on Beaver Parade. Oh yes, it's kind of it's like Pussy Patrol. <laughs> Beavers on Parade. Beavers on Parade. <laughs> yeah, it's the part I of um, that with the flags and stuff. He was the flag bearer. Yes, a standard bearer. Yeah, you get so, a little leather um, socket for the. He, oh, staff. he didn't use it. What? <laughs> he didn't use it, and he was walking up the. Uh, is it the aisle? They call the central yeah, aisle. And it was at like 45 degrees. He's going to get someone in Edwitt Spike. Someone's, someone's doing the last post. <laughs> someone's <laughs> someone's going to get piked in the back of the head. Yeah, he didn't use the uh, the old holder, the old oh, leather they're holder. heavy, you know, them big flags. I know. I know, yeah. Just animal. Yeah. It's a complete animal. Won't yeah. be told. No, I'll do it. I'll do it. Jousting down towards the altar. <laughs> Take this, priest. Kebab. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear! Oh, so yeah, well, I went to his, his first time I've been to church for a while. Any good hymns? Uh, they had the choir there. Yeah. Right. So the church is Saint Anthony's, right? And Tuesday was Saint Anthony's feast day. He's, so, he's the patron saint of finding stuff, if I remember rightly. That's right. Yeah. If you, that was the, the old thing we learned is if you lost something, you had to pray to Saint Anthony yes. and light a candle. Maybe you'll find it. Yeah. You just get looking. It's a Franciscan. Yeah, Franciscan theologian. Anthony, mm-hmm. Anthony of Padua, although Padua. although he was Portuguese, but he was famous for being coming from Padua in Italy, I guess. I think he started in Padua, um, and, you know, uh, Portugal, and then went off. Did he have stigmata? Was that some other guy? There's a Padua link, I think. Ooh, I don't know. I don't know. No, we got into an in-depth theological <laughs> <laughs> beyond our pay grade. Yeah, absolutely. Probably. Yeah. I'll tell you what was interesting though. At the end of the mass. Um, a guy came up from CAFOD. The Catholic Fund for Overseas Development. Correct, yeah. Uh, it's like a fundraising it's like thing. like the WEF. It? <laughs> yeah, it's like the, the World yeah, Catholic Advanced Foreign Operatives Directive. That's the ones. <laughs> and uh, he was talking all about seeds. 
and in Bangladesh and stuff, how um, the farmers, like the small holding farmers, are getting royally screwed because they're being forced to take these uh, GMO seeds that are sterile and then okay. buy seeds every year and then having to buy fertilizer and all the rest of it. Yeah. And we've lost this sort of, they're, they're getting pushed out of natural uh, means of farming. So um, the opportunity was there to sign a letter on your way out of the mass, which obviously I did. I made all my kids do it. Yeah. Um, you sign them on behalf as well. I could, I could have done. I, I didn't. There was a queue. Everyone's coming nah. out, so I didn't want to take up all night. So, yeah, it's kind of um, disturbing what's happening in the Far East with seeds. I, I think, I, I imagine Dr. Bill has got his sticky fingers all over that. With his, uh, with him and Monsanto, and there's a two other big agro companies. I'm sure there's one beginning with C. It's not, I think it's the biggest in the world, like Core Commodore or something like that. Big agro company. But uh, yeah, it's like what happened in Sri Lanka over the the last couple of years. They were there was a famous WEF. It's since been removed, but you mentioned the WEF. There's a famous WEF article from about 2016, mm. and it's um, it's putting forward how Sri Lanka is going to is is um, embracing all the SDGs, all the tw- Agenda 2030 Sustainable Development Goals, and it's going to be in the, in the vanguard of um, sustainable farming, according to the UN and whatnot. And it's going to be a, a leader in this respect. And then fast forward. Uh, four years, and there are riots and civil unrest because they're starving. Ah, yes. They went from being a, a food exporter to not being able to feed their own population. What's going on now? Because I've not heard any news from, from there for months. No, I've not kept up with it, so I don't know. But you remember just, there was videos of them like, storming the presidential buildings. Yeah, he had to flee. president yeah. had to flee. He had to leave the country because of these stupid um, carbon rules, carbon goals and whatnot. Um, another good segue actually I was listening to Jordan Peterson's podcast this week and um, he was talking about that new story about Ireland deciding to cull 200,000 cows Mm. beef cows again on this premise of Agenda 2030 Sustainable Development (laughs) Goals and he had a really interesting take on it I'm going to have to find the clip now and it was almost like a, a theological analysis of what was going on with the Irish leadership and the sacrifice of the cows. Of course, in, in, the, in the woke era we live in now, we don't have as much, you know, these pagan gods as they were construed in the pre-modern. We have power dynamics, mm-hmm. uh, racism, systemic racism. And well, the Irish are going to sacrifice 200,000 cows to Gaia. Yeah, that's so right. To Gaia. Yes. Okay. Well, that's nature worship at that its is, finest exactly. to change the weather to change the weather it's really pretty damn funny you it know? is it's, it's so it's so appallingly comical that it's, <laughs> it's it is definitely a form of cosmic joke i thought that was such an interesting analysis sacrificing <laughs> two hundred thousand cows to to gaia to yes. mother earth gaia to change the weather that's, to change the climate that's, that is interesting it's like a, a two thousand year retrograde wow I thought that I've never heard that no, sort of I've analysis not. before. Well, I'm just trying to think if there's any other analogs. I'm sure there will be. Uh, it's, it's hard to come up with things like that off the cuff. No, we'll have a look. You can um, dive in. I'll tell you what, though, it reminded me of this book, uh, Game of Gods by 
called Tyke Rim, which I read a couple of years ago. And look at I got notes. Oh my god. This is when I was uh, taking notes, annotating books. And this rib. is all about Oh, the Temple of Man in the Age of Reenchantment. So it's all about the synergy between global NGOs or or GOs, like the United Nations and whatnot. The synergy between them and faith groups and um New, what do you call it? New, new age, the new age, and the the mysticism. So if I just pull one, well, I've highlighted it, highlighted it all the way through as well. All right, so Hitler on collective action. Who? That Adolf guy. I don't know why I've highlighted this, but this is Hitler speaking. Man as an individual, whatever power he may have in himself, will be incapable of higher achievements unless. He can place the powers of many in the service of a single idea, a single conception, a single will, and can unite them for a single action. Hence, three weeks to flatten the earth. Uh, yes. Net zero by 2030. And on and on and on. And uh, yeah, I, I, I flick through these quickly. Materialism incarnates horrors of the 20th century. That's my note. So I don't know whose who's quote this is. Modernity demonstrated that when mankind is reduced to a soulless animal in an accident universe, so the cosmic accident that we talk about, we're floating on a speck of dust through a meaningless universe yes. in our meat suits. Humanity becomes expendable as capitalized rational man. The scientifically organized party and state plays God or the technocrats. Got one here, sustainable development. Let's check that one out. Sustainable development. So uh, this idea was a hypothetical global green constitution. This is part of a constitution. Environmental protection will be humanity's highest duty. To that end, dehumanized wilderness zones must be legally enacted. Rewilding. Rewilding. Quote, it is the human population that needs management, not wildlife. Wow. And managed we were through the new economic order, blah, blah, sustainable development. Uh, it's a really big book, um, but full of interesting stuff. Oh, I've got one here, transhumanism, definition. Uh, we can use science and technology to understand the causes of aging, and we can learn to eliminate those causes. It's not an unsolvable problem. It's basically an engineering problem. This is something like Noah Harari would say. Yeah. This is, I don't know who's being quoted. Oh, Max Moore, so the founder of the Entropy Institute. It's not an unsolvable problem. It's basically an engineering problem, a scientific problem. There's nothing special about the human lifespan. It's just an accident, an evolutionary accident. And why should we accept that? So really, transhumanism is about taking control of our own human evolution and deciding how long we want to live, how smart we want to be, how well modulated our emotions should be. Wow. I think that's when you become an, an automaton. When you decide to, uh, you're going to decide how well modulated your emotions should be. You, you stop being human at that point. Don't I think. you do that in everyday life, though? That's a little bit like... Through control and personal development. Yes. 
yeah, yeah. not through these. This is a technical issue. Oh, this will this be done through gene true. editing or a pill or something uh, else, okay. won't it? It's really about turning our choices over to us rather than natural selection. Anyway, it's a, it's a good book. I'd recommend it. Maybe we should get him on. I bet yeah, we could get Carl like, on. Yeah. I'd be interested to know if AI will become so advanced that eventually there'll be... You won't know whether you're human or or an AI. Well, it's like, where's that dividing line? Well, exactly. It might be there now. <laughs> yeah, it might be. It's like, what's what defines a human? It's an open question to me. You know? but, it's interesting. No, it's like... Um, if you have a, an industrial accident or a car accident and you, you lose your leg above the knee and you get a prosthetic, you're still a human, as far as I can see. Yeah. You know? But what if... I don't know. Yeah, where's, where is humanity stored? In the leg or in the brain? What if you have a brain injury and something changes? Personality change. Are you the same human? No. But then, you know, as you develop, are you the same human? It's weird, isn't it? This is where we need philosophy and theology. Yeah, and there's... You can't quantify this. There is no scientific answer to these questions. And there's no room for philosophy or theology in the uh, transhuman world. No, probably not. It's sort of... I've not even had my tonsils out. Level four human. <laughs> confirmed. <laughs> Illuminati confirmed. <laughs> Helen wants to be an Autobot. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Roll out. Did you used to watch Transformers when uh, you were a kid? Yeah. I watched The Mask more than Transformers. Or oh, Mask, not The Mask. Mask, mask Crusaders. Working no, all the, it, was, all the time. It, was, it was Mask. And they, they had, they did have like weird transforming cars and stuff that were fucking cool. But... I can't remember much else. And visionaries. I remember visionaries. Knights of the Magical Light. Knights of the Magical Light. And the, and the action figures had like heat, heat reactive trans. Holograms. Uh, hologram things, yeah. Yeah, holograms, yeah. I had a few visionaries. Yeah. Still getting them on eBay. What else did I get? Manta Force. I know Matt's had Manta Force. Gosh, yeah. Micro Machines. Um. Continue with Jordan Peterson. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll move on because time time's running out. We've been on all, almost an hour already, and there's two two three things I want to f- cover quick. Cool. Jordan Peterson. Speaking of which, I didn't know if you'd heard, but he's taken over from Kevin McLeod on Grand Designs. What? Yeah, he's the new host of Grand Designs. I want Kevin McLeod to write me twelve rules. Then <laughs> <laughs> I've got a clipper here from uh, Jordan Peterson from his first uh, show. Grand Designs is like a it's like a aspirational architecture show. Yeah, and people yeah. people buy a plot of land and they decide to build their own house from scratch, and they're all, all uh, often these very impressive uh, architectural yeah. constructions. Guggenheim esque. Yeah, and yeah, Jordan Peterson's taking over. Here's a clip. You're in this box, and you have to make the best of it. So, and you might say, "Well, I don't want to be in a box." It's like, are you so sure you don't want to be in a box? A box is a fortress. The walls keep the dragons away. You want to be in a box. Paradise is a walled garden. It's not a a garden without walls. It's got walls, right? You have a house. It has walls. You have a room. It has walls. You don't want to be outside of a box. Pick your damn box and then figure out how to make it into a garden. Well, I want a box without walls. No, you don't. It's nothing but snakes. Pick your damn box. Nothing but snakes. Wow, shit. 
Anyway, snakes in a box. Uh, we got sent this uh, this video from <sighs> Chris. This is what I think it is. I love it every time I see it. The rubber hand experiment. Yes. Yeah, Chris from Sheet Farm, from uh, last week's guest, sent us this on Instagram. Experiment that we're going to do today yes. is I'm going to train your brain to. Bl- You're familiar with this, Ben? I am. Yeah, we, I've I've uh, I've done it. I've done this. Experiment. Oh, have you done it? Did it yeah. work? Yeah, yeah, it does. It's very. It's a very weird feeling. So there's a especially guy, if you're high as shit like this. Guy, obviously, it's. <laughs> there's a guy sat at a desk and he has a he has two desks if you like, and there's a screen dividing one desk from the other, and he has his real right hand on one desk that he can't see, and a rubber hand in place of where his right hand should be. So this is the experiment. Believe that this hand, this arm, is your arm. You see we've got this divider here. Uh-huh. So right now you can kind of see your arm. You see the arm there. And I'm going to cover over part of your arm. Okay. Now I'm doing that because your eyes talk to your brain. Uh-huh. And your eyes tell you this is what's... He looks nervous, doesn't he? <laughs> He's so out there. Uh-huh happening so now can you physically see your arm your right arm here no great so I'm- so he just said he has his normal left hand in front of him and a rubber hand yeah which is fake and he's got his like sleeve covering it so he's the guy's trying to trick him to think that this rubber hand is his own hand we're gonna take these two classroom rulers so we're gonna train the sensations you feel the rulers touching your hands so the guy that running the experiment has two rulers and he's is He's copying the same movement with the fake hand and the real hand, which yeah. is out of vision, isn't it? So the interesting so, thing is, as well, he's, he's saying exactly what he's doing. He's training all the way know, through. He's, he's got two rulers, and he's, you know, he's almost saying this isn't your real hand. Yeah. All, all the, the way, way through. <laughs> yeah, he's just, this is part of the, the trick, it seems. So he's mimicking the same movement with the real hand and the fake hand and, and training this guy to to pick up the sensation because it's now becoming one with your mind that this right hand is your right hand right you are believing that as i drag the ruler on your right hand there it totally feels in fact in your brain uh, your right hand it totally feels like my hand. That's yeah. crazy. Oh, it's totally, it's totally oh, fucking God. weird, dude. I wish I was that high. <laughs> the sensations yeah. line up with each finger. What? What? Whoa, yo, this is crazy. Yeah. So now if I just do like a little tap. Uh, right? Yeah. Feel the knuckles. Uh-huh. Feel each digit. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that, this is where that's crazy. Yeah. Now, now, when you did this, were you the experimenter or the experimentee? I was the experiment. Or did you do e. both? I was. The, I was the experimentee. You can't. I didn't have the opportunity to do both, um, but I was. I was experimentee. So yeah, if it, I can confirm it feels weird AF. Now I'm gonna do this one more time. Look what he's doing now. So now he's repeating the movements with the ruler. But he's removing the re- the ruler that's touching his real hand and just using the ruler with the fake hand. To train your brain. Okay. Right? So you feel your thumb. <sighs> oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> and your index finger. Your middle finger. This is nuts. Your ring finger. Oh, my goodness. 
And your pinky Sorry. finger. Uh, and now you're gonna feel it when I tap it. <laughs> you feel that? Yeah. And that, and Whoa. that. I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. And, yeah, I have and, not been using the other ruler. What? You feel that? Yeah. I am not using the ruler on your other hand. Oh, what do you, <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. It's not, oh. Whoa, you even that, like... Right? I just touched his own... Well, so he just nice. touched the fake hand with yeah, his own no, hand. No, I, I didn't touch the fake hand. No, that would, I thought that I would short-circuit that, it. I would have thought that that would shake him out of it. Yeah, yeah but he says it feels weird. you got to hand it to him. <laughs> says, oh, good one. Like Jeremy Beadle. We'll allow it. <laughs> oh, no. Now, check oh. this out. We're going to do a little test now. So now he's brought like a little, it's one of those hammers that the doctor would use for testing your reflexes on you when they hit you on the kneecap. Little stone hammer on the end of a prong in it. Again, this is all in your mind. I'm retraining your brain. He's fucking telling him what's happening all the way through it. To feel sensations. Okay. But your brain is thinking that it's feeling it. Okay. So even if it gets a little, what would be considered painful, I will not be harming you because, of course, I'm not going to be actually hitting your right arm. But your brain really believes that this is, in fact, your right hand. Oh, this is making me nervous. All right, here we go. I'll start lightly. Feel that on the thumb? Just, yeah. You see his real hand move? His real hand's twitching, yeah. So so the the, the guy who's dressed up like a doctor hit his thumb with the uh, hammer. The, the little, what do they call it, reflex hammer. And his real thumb on the other side of the screen moved. It reacted, which is bizarre. Just shows how easy our brains are tricked, isn't it? And that's the, yeah. Is that the message? It's the message. message. <laughs> <laughs> I think he got it. <laughs> I think we got it. Whoa, yeah. Middle finger. Oh. Middle finger. Whoa. Yeah, his real fingers are moving when the rubber fingers are hit now. That's bizarre. Finger. I'm totally feeling it in this hand. It feels kinky. It just oh, the knuckles. Oh. I, well, this is so strange. The back of the hand. I'm just gonna. It's a bit long-winded. I'm just gonna wrap it forward. A bit. And I would never take a hammer and bash your fingers to where they would hurt. Okay, now he's picked up a claw hammer. That's right. I hope not. But again, your brain is going to tell you that you're going to feel this when, in fact, I'm not actually going to be causing any damage to your hand, of okay, course, okay, right? Okay. You see, his real left hand is almost it's contorted like he wants to use it as a shield for the fake hand. Exactly. He yeah. wants to sacrifice his real left hand for the, the fake The fake Because the doctor hand, yeah. is, is sort of almost, the way he's jerkily moving it, like he's about to hit him with, yeah. hard with the actual yeah, claw know. hammer, which obviously he won't do. Okay. So. And we'll start lightly again. Okay? okay. You ready? Yeah. Here we go. Very lightly. Here we go. <sighs> and on there. Oh, it's so sweet. So it's just like tapping him on the fingernail of the rubber hand with the claw <laughs> hammer. And his real hand's moving. It's so weird. Oof. Oh. And poof. Oh. And oh, the infamous thumb when you're hammering. Oof. Miss. Done that many times. 
catch yeah. your thumb. Fucking hell, that hurts. Mm, even hit. when I'm using a rubber hand to cut the nails. <laughs> <in>. <laughs> it's the nail. Oh, you know, it feels like an electric shock. It's so strange, doesn't like, it? Yeah. Oh, even when I touch myself. Yeah. Oh. yeah. yeah. Watch this. Watch this. One last electric. Watch this. You ready for this one? Okay. This one. Guess which finger I'm gonna hit. Okay. Guess which finger. See if you can tell me which one it is. Middle. Ah! <laughs> Evil bastard. Okay. Smashed him in middle. <laughs> He nearly got his eye with the club it when he put that on. Shit. <laughs> oh, dear. Right, we've done that. Yeah. I think it's nearly time to go. Rubber brain. Um, Joe Biden campaign launch. That's right. Bo Jarden. Creepy Uncle Joe. The sniffer. The sniffer. He was up in uh, Pittsburgh. Was it Pittsburgh? Tennessee? Pennsylvania. Oh. Isn't it? I don't know. Pittsburgh, PA. Yeah, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Massachusetts. Uh, sorry, Philly. That's what I'm thinking. Philly. Philly. Philadelphia. Okay. <laughs> Philadelphia's in Pennsylvania, isn't it, as well? Uh, yeah, Penn State. Is that the uni? I think so. Anyway, Biden was launching his campaign in Philly with the senator there, John Fetterman. Are you familiar with John Fetterman? John Fetterman. Are you familiar with John Fetterman? No, I never heard of him. He's a big unit. Is he? Fuck me, yeah. Hold up. <laughs> oh, my gosh. What, what, what a baby. What a big baby. Just get on with the game. Baby. <laughs> Hold up. Wait a minute. Something ain't right. Well, he's a big unit. But, yeah, uh, this I've got a clip here. This is from John Talks on YouTube, who is a, a fantastic source for these kind of Bidenisms. And, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a train wreck, this campaign launch. Now I'm standing next to the president again, next to a, a collapsed bridge here. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't think he was calling Joe a collapsed bridge. <laughs> this is the senator for Pennsylvania, John Fetterman. Right. Anyway, it's good. I'll just knock it back a bit. It's worth, it's worth repeating. Bears repeating. Now I'm standing next to the president again, next to a, a collapsed bridge here, and he is here to commit to work with the, the governor and the, the, the delegation. I might add, if I didn't, I'd be sleeping alone. <laughs> you have to explain. I better explain that. Some don't know. What I'm <laughs> My wife's a Philly girl. All right, where are we going? We're heading this way for All right, we're going to go over and get the briefing. This is a president that is committed to infrastructure. <laughs> I think that was infrastructure he meant to say. My wife's a Philly girl. All right, where are we going? We're heading this way for him. All right, we're going to go over and get the briefing. This is a president that is committed to infrastructure. Yeah, and then on top of that, uh, the, the jewel uh, kind of a uh, uh, law. Of the inflation, inflation, inflation. We need to get inflation under control. Oh man! Yeah, it's not fair. The the guy had a stroke. Oh right. Oh. Fine. When he was running for senate, and they fucking elected him anyway. I didn't know he had a stroke. Jeez. Well, yeah, but they shouldn't have voted. <laughs> no. and Joe Biden had a stroke. He said his head open more times than soft Mick. Yes. More times than uh, I don't know. What opens its head a lot? 
xenomorph. <laughs> All right, yeah, good one. Yeah, <laughs> several mouths. And a bit uh, uh, law of the inflation uh, bill. I'll tell you what, man, you guys just endorsed me again, and I want to tell you, if I say anything you don't like, let me know, will you, man? Oh, a little, uh-huh. that, that little tender little squeeze oh, of the bicep. Oh, muscle squeezer. Yeah, it's not just a hair sniffer. It used to be, a, there was a local mu- muscle squeezer, wasn't there? Yeah. Down these parts. Oh, what? Pressed, a Preston legend. A muscle squeezer? Yeah. Who's uh, that? What's his name? I can't remember where. A politician? No. No, just some guy. Muscle squeezer. Anyway, Preston Legend, like him, Toxic Terry. Right. I can't think. No, I can't remember his name. Just remember the muscles being squeezed. <laughs> anyway. Just endorse me again, and I want to tell you, if I say anything you don't like, let me know, will you, man? He, he's got guns as big as my thighs. <laughs> Good to see you, pal. It's a pleasure to be here and to introduce my... My friend, Congressman Boyle Bile. Congressman Boyle Bile. Who is Boyle Bile? Here we go. Thank you. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm uh, Congressman Brendan Boyle. <laughs> Brendan Boyle, not Boyle Bile. Oh, man. Yeah, what a shame. Well, they probably should I mean, in some ways, I would rather have people running the show who are kind of useless. I mean, you, there's only there's only so much damage you can do if you if you if you're not mentally fit. Wow. If you're not compass mentors. Oh yeah, I don't I don't know if if he should have got the job, but then that's <sighs> a bit weird, isn't it? It's too late. It's happened now, isn't it? Now he's the president. <sighs> what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Wild shit. Right. Let's sign off. It's so fucking warm in here, isn't it? It is. Hey, babe! I think it's time. Yeah. I'm so sweaty. It's it's fucking hot and it's going to be wet out there. All right. (laughs) Right, I've been Bojangles Boyle. (laughs) Helen said... uh, didn't Biden end a, a speech with God Save the Queen the other day? Yep. Ah, oh, well. I didn't bother. I mean, you know, you could spend all, all every episode just going over Biden's fuck-ups, couldn't you? There was a... It was a, um, <laughs> the other president, Bush Jr. Now, watch this drive. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of, like, books in shit bookshops that had a lot of Bushisms in from back in the day, but, I mean, it's been a... A gold mine since then, hasn't it, really? Mm. Anyway. Long mate, continue. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's good value. Fill your ears with I, nonsense. I don't think we can lose after the next election because Trump's just as good value for sound Oh, bites. absolutely, yeah. Thailand. Yeah. Thailand. Thailand. <laughs> nice. Mm. Right, well, yes, it's nearly Monday. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, um, it's time to go on it. Yeah. We'll be back next wow. week, won't we? Are we? Who's it? A, a barn raising? It's a barn raising next week, is it? I don't know. Uh, 18. 25th? Yeah. It might be a barn raising. I think it might be. So we won't be live. We'll just be audio only the Wipe day the after. Fires. 
pour your favourite tipple. Yeah. But that'll be good fun. Yeah. So we'll be back the week after live on YouTube. But, you know, sign up to the uh, audio only on Spotify or iTunes or wherever mm. you get your podcasts. Yeah, yeah. And uh, see you next week. All right. Yes. See you next week, guys. You little bitch. That little bitch. Love you. Bye. Bye. Are you not entertained? Epic dub. Run, boy. Respect me. Thank you for watching. What the fuck are you people even talking about? Don't you take it out, Agony? We are a bunch of chicken livered shits. What do you expect from slags and, and, and puss pimpers? Calm down. I think you're hitting, hitting the point, Phil, that, uh,. Uh, and it really bothers me uh, 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 because I, I believe I'm, I have an issue in this respect. And these guys, I mean, they're having fun now, but my goodness, they've also got a dark side. Gouge's eyes! They have to pay out 159000000000 billion less. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. Booker shape, funk shape, fucking sphincter, asshole up your ass, up your cunt. Satan is an evil clown.